Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We'll start with Reyes. Reyes is in, he's in Pensacola at the moment. He's at Andrews Institute. Yep, he is uh, getting a therapeutic injection and uh, will be back on Friday. And at that point, we'll have a plan as to what his return looks like. Um, regarding Flaherty, we did the imaging. Um, they are all weighing in at the moment, and we're hoping that by end of day, we have an actual idea of where he stands. But once they weigh in, I'll have more on that. That was Ollie Marmol, the Cardinals' new manager yesterday, talking about what's going on with Jack Flaherty and Alex Reyes alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario. I am Brandon Kiley. We are broadcasting live today at Max out in Alton, Illinois. Come out, say hello, check out all the games. They've got a million different TVs that we're looking at right now. We can watch the NCAA tournament all day together today out here. But, Alex, let's start with the Cardinals because this was big news yesterday. Jack Flaherty getting a second opinion is the latest that we have. That might sound scary. It is scary, frankly, but this is what you typically expect with a guy the caliber of Jack Flaherty. He's got the shoulder issue, and my expectation at this point is he's not going to start the year with the Cardinals. My question about this, though, is what does this mean for their plan with their pitching? Because we all knew previously they were trying to go with the more modern approach. They were going to go with the piggyback idea. They were going to use Jordan Hicks in the sixth and seventh inning. He could go on a specific schedule so that way they could lay out exactly when he's going to pitch. Alex Reyes was going to be a big part of that plan as well. Now you don't have Reyes, at least for the beginning of the year. You probably don't have Jack Flaherty for at least the beginning of the year. What is this plan now, and are they putting too much on Ollie Marmol early in his career here in St. Louis in your mind? I think you're putting too much on him because not only do you have the uncertainty. Let's break it down. you got the bullpen and the rotation. We'll start the ro- rotation. You have uncertainty with your ace. And, look, you get a second opinion. That's not going to be pretty in terms of the outlook for Jack Flaherty. And what was the quote? We're not going to speculate. It could be a week, could be a month. It's just not fair to do that, which means it's not optim- <laughs> optimal right now for this Cardinals team. But not only that, but you're asking your manager to take on this team and you've put the goals of winning a World Series. But in that rotation, you also have a guy who's almost missed two years in Miles Michaelis. And you have another guy who didn't pitch at all last year with Tommy John surgery in Dakota, Dakota Hudson. And all the while you have Adam Wainwright, who you really don't know what you're going to get from. Although I think we all believe he's going to be very good. 
we're not sure what Adam Wainwright is going to provide. And then the bullpen. I'm not as concerned about the bullpen, but you are missing a big-time piece that you were planning on doing. I think this is a lot to put on Ali Marmol here, but I also think that this is the reason they went with Ali Marmol because they felt like the youth that he provides, the ability to communicate with his players, and on top of it, the opportunity for him where they feel like he can manage a rotation, a pitching staff with Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox, Mike Maddox. Greg Maddox would be nice. He'd be great if he's available. I bet he could still play. I'm sure he could. We could use him right now. I think for the Cardinals, that's why they're going with Ali Marmol, but it is not optimal. Yeah, there's a pressure on Ali Marmol, absolutely, but I I think he's well prepared to handle this. He was part of the coaching staff last year that went through June in which the season was really put in jeopardy. Is there pressure on him? Absolutely. They need to go find some reinforcements and learn the lesson compared to what happened in June. But I I do think that they need – that he will be fine in terms of handling this. He was a part of that coaching staff last year. Is there pressure on him? Absolutely. But I think the Cardinals are even better prepared now than ever because of what happened last year. They totally agree there's pressure on him. I think it's fine, though. I think Ole Marmol is going to be able to handle this. I don't think this is fine at all. (laughs) I don't don't feel good about this at all. I think you're putting way too much on your manager. And wait till they make the trade, BK. Yeah, I mean, if they make a big deal, of course, that's going to change things. But I can only go with the information we have right now, and the information is not good. You don't have anybody that you can pivot your rotation around right now. I know people are going to say, Wayno, I get that. I I don't feel great about the fact that they're having a 40-year-old pitcher as their number one guy right now that they're leaning on in a heavy way after a shortened spring training. Uh, That's not great. And then after him, you mentioned this, Alex. You've got guys that have legitimate injury questions coming back with Michaelis and with uh, Dakota Hudson this year those are probably your number two and three starters maybe you expect Steven Matz to be that guy but even last year when he was pretty solid he was somebody that was going five or six innings consistently you can't expect a ton of depth out of your starters early in the year now you've got the one guy that I was hoping would be able to give you that in Jack Flaherty he's not going to be around for the start of the season and you've got a guy that was going to be a linchpin in this plan with Alex Reyes also not around who are you getting these innings from where are they coming from right now? I mean, you look at it like Gallegos is supposed to be your closer. Cabrera can give you one to two innings, but he's not going to be a long man for you. Helsley, same thing. McFarland, same thing. Whitgren, same thing. Guys, where are they covering these innings from? There is no shadow rotation right now. The actual rotation is a shadow of itself right now. And so I, I look at it and I look at the situation that they're in. I think you have to make a move. I don't think you can go into the season like this feeling good about it. Do I think that it, it, it'd be all right if they went into it with Jake Woodford after a normal spring training? Maybe. But if this is real and it's going to be potentially a month without Jack Flaherty, I think that requires something bigger. And that goes back to what you said. If they get a big trade, yes, that definitely changes the way that I view this. I think you almost need that right now. If you're looking at the way that things set up on the free agent market, I think you could go out there and acquire a guy like Michael Pineda. That makes me feel much better about your current situation. I think the best case scenario for this team, though, and I don't know how they make it work with the prospects. I don't know what it would take. But if you had a situation where you had a guy like uh, Sean Manaya inserted into this rotation, now I think the plan still works. But as is currently constructed, I don't know that you can go this route. If you want to do that, if you want to go make the trade, you better do it now because as soon as you get the actual results of this Jack Flaherty injury, that's where teams are going to start holding your ransom in terms of the prospects to where they know you absolutely need a starting pitcher. So it's going to be fine. We want Gorman or Levator. And then the Cardinals are going to pull the, well, everyone wanted too much, and we're not going to do that. So we're just going to have to stick with what we have. And if you're going to go free agent route, 
great, but you're also taking on that injury risk with that. So I think they need to make the trade. I think it's Shamanai. I think it's Frankie Montas. I think those are the two that the Cardinals should be calling right now for. But you got to do it sooner rather than later because the longer this goes with Jack Flaherty and when it starts to get leaked that, all oh, this is really bad, that's where teams are going to start holding you a ransom. And, and I think a guy, because I agree, I, I like Shamanai. I think he's a guy to go trade for. I, I don't think that Shamanai is going to be available in the next, like, 48 hours. I I believe that Shamanai is going to be traded with very soon because the Yankees are involved in talks with him. It looked like the Twins had been interested in him. I think he's going to be dealt sooner rather than later. So if the Cardinals are going to be interested, they do need to jump on board pretty quickly here in terms of going to go make a trade. But if they're not going to make a trade, the shadow rotation only works if you've got three guys that are going to be able to eat innings. And that was the whole plan. The Flaherty injury is going to throw that off. If they don't make a trade, then you're almost relying on Miles Michaelis to eat innings for you. You have Wainwright, Mats, those are the two guys you expect to eat the innings. And then it'd have to be Miles Michaelis. He'd be the guy, the veteran experienced guy, but coming off back-to-back seasons with injuries and a short spring training. Look, I hear the reports from camp that he looks good. I don't know if I want him to be a guy that I'm going to rely on to eat innings that early in the season. I want to be cautious with him still. Maybe by about June, July, then you feel more comfortable with him. But it, since that's the case, that's why you need to go make a move. That's why I like a Sean or a Michael Pineda in free agency. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 314. Guys, the Cardinals acquired Corey Dickerson. I want to hear what your opinion is on the matter. All right, well, let's get to, away from the pitching. We'll get to the hitting side of things. Well, they signed Corey Dickerson. The Cardinals have officially signed Corey Dickerson. I haven't seen the money yet, but it is reportedly a one-year deal that they have acquired him for. This is a guy that we've talked a lot about. I've brought him up in the past as one of those low-level acquisitions. He's in that level with the Brad Millers, the Mitch Morelands, Colin Moran. That That is the range in which they were clearly shopping. This is a bench bat slash a DH option. He's insurance in case you don't get some sort of an improvement out of Lars Newbar this year. Guys, I really like it. I really like this signing. I don't think that this is all that different than if they signed a guy like uh, Jock Peterson. And he basically gives you the same thing that Peterson does. Early in his career, he was outstanding. From 2015 to 2019, he was a guy that hit 290, and he had a 121 OPS plus. So that's on a scale of 100, where 100 is league average. He's 21% above league average. That's better than what you've seen so far from Dylan Carlson in his career. So he was a very good hitter. Over the last couple of years, you've seen regression. And he's now 33 years old, so it's not as if he's going to suddenly get better. But if he can recapture some of the form that he once had, this is a guy that, even last year, was a 750 OPS against righties. He's a bench bat for you. He's a DH option. He's the lefty bat that they've been looking for. I think he's a slightly better version of Colin Murray. So if you wanted to go out there and make a move that is on the lower level, the lower end of the spectrum in terms of the money, uh, this is probably the ideal candidate to go out there and acquire. So I, I actually, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are down on this move because they're going to say it's cheap, it's low-hanging fruit, all of that. I actually really like the move. I think this was a good signing by the Cardinals. I don't really care that it was cheap or low-hanging fruit because that's where the Cardinals were shopping. They weren't shopping anywhere further. I don't like this in the sense of you're adding a fifth outfielder to your team now. And I understand he's going to be a DH. They're not expecting him to play the field, but you had Lars Newtbar. I think Colin Moran would have made more sense because you didn't have that fill-in for first or third base. Juan Yepes could have done it. Nolan Gorman can do it. But I think they're... Sosa? Sosa, but I think Sosa's going to be getting a lot more playing time at shortstop than people are thinking with ben this. Young. I mean, you've got a lot of flexibility I, I'm not on your infield Paul DeYoung right now. Playing Paul DeYoung at third base, I just I'm not. I just think Colin Moran would have made more sense to have. And realistically, you're not playing anybody at third base more than like five to ten games. Understandable, this year. but if I had that with Colin Moran, and now I have a fifth outfielder who, I mean, I, and I get it. You have injuries that pop up and everything like that. That's why I'm not down on it. 
I think it's a good signing. I would have preferred Colin Moran over it, though. See, I think it's a really good signing, and I think he is better than Colin Moran. I think he provides a little bit more pop than Colin Moran. As BK mentioned, he had an 800 OPS against right-handed pitching. I I think he takes the role of Lars Newpar. I think he's going to battle out with Lars Newpar. We haven't seen the money yet, but he's not coming in on a minor league deal. My assumption is he's probably getting close to what Jock got, where it was about $6 million. I'd say it's probably that one to three to five million dollar range yeah. and that would solidify his spot on the uh, roster for opening day i my have the money is, for you it's one year five million dollars so, so he's it's on, right in that jock peterson yeah, range he's on the roster my if i had to guess i bet he's the guy that starts a designated hitter come opening day because i think he'll see the at-bats against right-handed pitching yep. lars newbar will be battling for a spot on the roster now guys can we be honest about lars newbar lars newbar was fine last year he was fine He's a depth piece, and if he starts this year in AAA, that's not a bad thing for the Cardinals. That's a good thing. But if you're going to do this, then why are you going Corey Dickerson? If you knew that Lars Newpar wasn't ready to take this step, then why not go get one of the bigger names out there? Because they didn't have the money to. I you mean, have I th- six I million to go get Jack Peterson. If they want to go get a pitcher, probably not. I and I I don't think that Corey Dickerson's any different than Jack Peterson. You said he's regressing. Uh, yeah, he's not the same player that he was earlier in his career. Earlier in his career, he was outstanding. He was an all-star at one point. Um, Jock Peterson, at this point in their careers, I think they're basically the same. Like, half, six to one, half a dozen to the other. Is Jock Peterson, he has the playoff experience, so would I like to have had Jock Peterson? Sure, but if Jock wanted to go out to San Francisco to play with one of his buddies that he had growing up in uh, Brandon Crawford, I got no issues with this signing. I, I think it makes a lot of sense for them because they needed a left-handed bat. The other question that I have here, does this open up them to potentially trade Lars Newtbar in a deal for a pitcher? We said yesterday that they needed to go out there and acquire one of these guys. I still believe that to be true. And Eno Saris, who we talked to from The Athletic, said one of the guys that he thinks the A's would be interested in is Lars Newtbar if they wanted to go out there and get a guy like Sean Manaya. If that's part of what this signing means, and I don't know if it is or isn't, but if it is, I think it makes even that much more sense for the Cardinals, honestly. Well, that's awkward because Ali Marmol told Katie Wu today that uh, Lars is going to be DH tomorrow. Well, that's the plan. I think I, he will I, be. I think he's battling for a spot on the roster. I, I The reason I like the deal, too, is because let's say you keep Lars Newpar. This is just a one-year deal. So if Lars Newpar yeah. ends up – and Corey Dickerson's been prime for injury in his career. I mean, if you look at it, in 2019, only 44 games – or excuse me, uh, he had 78 games. So he's he's had some injuries in the past. He's been a bench bat as well. If he gets hurt, Lars Newpark can slide into his role as the left-handed bat against the DH. And if Juan Yepes ends up winning the job overall because he has no splits in the minor leagues against right-handed or left-handed pitching, it's just a one-year deal. You can just walk away from it at the end of the year, and, and there's no lost cause. Unlike guys like Eddie Rosario, the bigger bats that you're talking about, Alex, where they got multiple years, you'd be kind of stuck with them there. This one-year deal allows them to have that flexibility next year. So, Alex, who did you want them to get? Like, if you didn't like this move, what did you want them no, to do instead? No, it's not that I don't like it. Don't get me wrong. I'm fine with this move. I just think Colin Moran would have been a better move for him. But I, I think the versatility of having somebody who can play infield if something were to happen, and on top of it, somebody who was very familiar with the Central Division. But I, I guess the reason why I don't, I don't know that I care all that much about the infield options is because you've got Tommy Edmond who can play second base, third base, and shortstop. You've got Paul DeYoung who, if you needed to move him around, you could. Sosa, the same thing. Yepes can play first for you. Gorman can play second or third for you. I think you've got coverage. If you had a situation where it was a long-term injury, and knock on wood, fingers crossed this doesn't happen. If you had a long-term injury to Nolan Arenado this year, I think they would kick Edmund, DeYoung, or Sosa over to third base, and you'd have Nolan Gorman as your starting second baseman. I don't think that was ever going to be the case with Colin Moran. I think Colin Moran was a DH first, and if you needed to give uh, Paul Goldschmidt a day off, maybe he would fill in there. 
If you needed to give uh, if you needed to give Nolan Arenado a day off, though, I don't think he was ever going to play third for this team. I think they would have gone with those other internal options. So for me, a guy like Corey Dickerson, I don't know if you're ever going to see him in the outfield, honestly. He's okay defensively. Honest, like, he's not we, a liability. We don't want to see him in the outfield. Yeah, I think Lars Newbar is probably more athletic, and he's a better defender out there. So I think you'll and getting more of those opportunities, I think this is their answer for the DH. I think 70% of the time, you're going to see Corey Dickerson in the lineup as your five or six hole hitter, and he's going to be the starting DH against right-handed pitching. I think that's the way that they viewed this move. Guys, I need to update my uh, top 20 most important Cardinals list uh, because Corey Dickerson's going to be on it. <laughs> By the way, our uh, friend Eno Saris just tweeted, hashtag free new bar. Because he's big on Lars Newbar. Eno's told us before, you know, with the Exavilla he was showing in the Arizona Fall League that he thought he'd be he's a piece that he was high on. Now Eno's on the same page. I think he's ready I, I to move. D- I really wonder if that's a potential trade piece for him. I, I think that the, that that could be the scenario because they also have Alec Burleson coming up he, in the could, minors here. He could be soon, a too. guy that could go if you were to go get a uh, Shamanai. He could be a guy involved in a deal because they're looking for guys that are close talent wise in the major leagues right now. Lars Newpar is one of those guys, so he could be a guy if they're going to go make a move for Shamanai that could be involved in that package. And if that's the case, then they're a great move by the Cardinals. But you got to do it first. You can't. Make this move and then not go out there and get yourself a pitcher. I, I like Corey Dickerson. I, I, I'm i a big fan of this move. You I liked I'm, Matt Duffy. Because Matt Duffy's a good player. Nah. Matt Duffy's a good baseball <laughs> player. Um, by the way, Corey Dickerson does have some experience in the Central Division. He played for Pittsburgh in 2018 and 2019. Hit 300 for them in 2018. Hit 315 for them in 2019 with a 925 OPS. So, uh, Corey Dickerson, plenty of success in this Central Division How many years as ago was well. that? Uh, two, two years ago. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're going to be joined by Cardinals broadcaster Rick Horton. Excited to have him on the show. Want to get his thoughts on the Cardinals pitching decisions now, whether or not he thinks they need to go out and make a move, what he would think of Sean Manaya as that move. But coming up next, Alex, your guy, Ben Sherrod, officially off the market. Where did the Blues turn now? We'll talk about it coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We are broadcasting live out at Max in downtown Alton, Illinois. We're going to be here all day long. The Fast Lane will be broadcasting live from 2 to 6, watching the NCAA tournament today. The games are already started. Michigan down 14 to 9 against Colorado State in the first game of the day. The guy that I really wanted to be the next Mizzou head coach, Nico Medved, uh, coaching up his Colorado State How much money did you put on that, uh, T-Bone? Colorado uh, there's, State. There's $5 on Colorado State, South Dakota State, and Boise State $5? all to win. $5? What are you? <laughs> 10 Come <laughs> on, man. Put a 10-game parlay together. I don't, gotta, I don't have a Peloton money here. Over. I can't really be throwing <laughs> okay. out $100. All right, that's just enough. got diapers at home. Speaking of not overpaying for something, uh, the Blues decided not to do exactly that yesterday. Ben Sherrod officially off the market. He went for a King's ransom to the Florida Panthers. No, he's a Canadian. They traded... Well, he was a Canadian. Yes. Can't be a King's Ransom. They traded a 2023 first-round pick, a 2022 fourth-round pick, and a prospect who was the Panthers' 74th overall pick in the 2020 draft. Alex, this seemed like, to me, a ton to give up for a guy that is a rental who has had a, by the numbers, very bad season this year. He has been better of late. 
I did not feel bad at all that the Blues decided against matching this price. What did you think when you saw the Ben Chirot deal, and what does it mean for the Blues now as they look for their left-handed defenseman? That was a way overpayment by the Florida Panthers, and I think Florida was desperate to get a defenseman, and I think they made this move because, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Montreal didn't eat any of that salary. Half of it. They ate 50%, yep, 50% of it. So Montreal made this move because uh, our Florida was – in conversations with Mark Giordano, but I think Florida's trying to get Claude Giroux because they're sitting with their top prospect out. So this was the move that I think Florida wanted because they wanted to have cap space to go get Claude Giroux, which is why I think they had to overpay in this circumstance because they weren't going to be able to compete with a, a Mark Giordano who looked like a better defenseman. This was way overpayment, though, in my opinion. I mean, a first-round pick would make probably more sense, but you threw in a prospect with this as well. And look, I don't know what this prospect is. It's a former third-round pick. He's in college still. It's not like he's going to be impacting Montreal anytime soon. But the way I looked at this is you gave up a first and a prospect for Ben Sherratt and then the fourth-round pick for them to eat the 50% salary. Yep. I think that's just too much for Ben Sherratt. If it would have been a first and a fourth-round pick and not the prospect, then I would have seen the... I would have seen the reasoning behind it, but yeah, I don't. I, ben Chirot's a good defenseman. Ben Chirot is a top four defenseman, and that's about it. And you're overpaying for that, guys. I, the more I see what some of these prices are looking like right now, the more I continue to go back to the Justin Braun, uh, Jacob Middleton, Carson Soucy level. I just think that's the best-case scenario for the Blues. Given the salary, given what it's going to take in Prospect Hall to be able to get one of those guys, I, I think that is the range that the Blues probably should and ultimately will be shopping in. See, I don't think so. I, I honestly think – I'm not shopping in the rental department anymore. Like, Mark so Giordano's right, – Right away, go, Mark go Giordano. And, and Justin Braun would be in that category Justin well. Braun, I think, is going to be cheaper rental option, though. So I'm not out of that. I'm going the top-level rental guys. I'm going the Mark Giordano's. You're not interested in those Not guys. interested in the top-level rental guys okay. because you're overpaying for something that you're going to get two months of. Now, if I would still pay to get a top defenseman, Provorov or Sanheim or Chikrin. I would still pay that price because I'm getting longevity with it. And I think that's the direction that Doug Armstrong's going. That, in my opinion, is where the first option is going to be for Doug and this team. Find a top elite defenseman who can play there and give up what you have to give up. The next step down, I'm going to guys that have terms like a Carson Soucy, or if it's a unrestricted free agent rental, it's going to be somebody who's going to cost me a third-round pick because Philly's not going to be asking for that. Nobody's going to be giving that up for Justin Braun, in my opinion. Yeah, I... I don't mind the idea of a Provorov. Like, I, I'm all in favor of that. I'm not sure about Chikrin just because of the injury. It makes me nervous. I know that the news yesterday was apparently promising. It sounds like he's only going to be out for a couple of weeks. But oh, shocker. Arizona thinks he's going to be fine. I, exactly. I always get a little nervous about some of those reports that are coming out as they're trying to trade a guy. Um, of course, they're going to be optimistic about the injury report once they are looking at potentially acquiring a bunch of assets, especially after the report yesterday with this Ben Chirot deal. I... I just think if you're looking at what Doug Armstrong's going to do, I think it makes the most sense for this team. I, I know they're not exciting. It's it's like a Corey Dickerson level signing for the Blues. But like I got excited about that signing. I, I'm with you. I think it makes sense though. Like if you're looking at what they need, they need a guy that can come in and be predictable and play 20 minutes a night and be good on the penalty kill. Like the guys that we're talking about all play that way. So I, I think it would make sense for them. But to your point, Eric, Alex, Eric Ingles of Sportsnet tweeted this yesterday 
said the Blues loved Ben Chirot, but they were not willing to part with the assets to get it done. Perhaps that could have changed by Monday, but now we're never going to know. It's going to be interesting to see what comes next in St. Louis. There was also a report over in the 32 Thoughts column by Elliot Friedman that basically said, hey, do not count Doug Armstrong out. He's going to do something at the deadline. He can't see Doug Armstrong staying silent. So if it ends up being a Provorov, God, would that be a good sign, a good deal for them? Even if it's a Chikrin, and look, I even said a couple days ago that I'm out on Chikrin, and I, I, I'm not going to be a fan of getting somebody who's injured because you want him to get acclimated with your team, but you got to go big game hunting if you're Doug Armstrong right now. You can't go small in this conference with – Colorado doing what they're doing and still in the Claude Giroux mix. The Minnesota Wild have been connected to Marc-Andre Fleury with the Chicago Blackhawks, which makes them better. You know Vegas is going to have their guys back come playoff time if they're in the playoff. And Calgary just added Callie Yarncrook, who's a good addition to their team. Everyone else is getting better. You can't stand pat and just say, well, we're going to try and get this done. If you get a Justin Braun, yeah, it might move the needle a little bit because I like him. He's got playoff experience. But you're Doug Armstrong, first things first, let's fix our defense and get an elite player who can play against those guys. What are you giving up for him? Because it's probably something similar for a Sanheim or a Chikrin, I would think. You're talking multiple first or second round draft picks and probably a couple of prospects, if not an NHL player. Like, I know you brought up Barbie or probably Barbie. Probably Barbie, and you're probably giving up a first and a second pick and a neighbor's or a bull duke. You're you're giving up a lot And you're doing that. If it's for Provorov, yes. If it's for Chikrin, probably not. What what is the max you'd be willing? Like, if we came on here, let's say this weekend the Blues get a trade done, and it is for Jacob Chikrin. What is the max amount you would be willing to give up to be able to get Chikrin on this Blues team? Nothing off of my NHL roster. Ooh. Well, no. I don't think you're going to be able to get it done. Yeah, you might be able to. If you throw together some top prospects and some draft picks, you might be able to pull that off. It just depends you, on you what other teams. You might be talking Bulldog plus neighbors in that situation. I'd probably pull the really? trigger on that. Because, you're get, look, you've got to become an elite defense if you're going to compete in this division. And I think the forwards can compete with Colorado. I think the forwards can compete with anybody in the West. Defense is where it needs to be improved. And Justin Braun's not improving that defense for me. Interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because I've been saying all along before heading into yesterday of, you know, you got to go add a top four defenseman so you can go be a Stanley, Stanley Cup contender. You can go win the Cup if you add a defenseman. Guys, I'm starting to look at the Western Conference, and I'm looking at even the East teams, if you want to look at them, like Florida, who's going to load up and possibly get Carolina's going to be loading Car- up, too. Carolina, Car- Carolina, Carolina. Carolina as well. I, I, I'm now starting to wonder if it's not so much as, you know, the big fish hunting isn't just to make you a Stanley Cup contender. It's also just to just keep you afloat in the Western Conference. I mean, you don't add somebody, like you're saying, or you even just added Justin Braun. I'm sorry, but I'm going to look at Colorado. I'm going to look at Calgary as the favorites in the Western Conference, and I'm not going to put the Blues on the same tier. I love the forward group, but if they don't add defensively and it's not a big fish coming off the market, I'm sorry. I don't know if they can keep up with the Colorados or the Calgarys. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We're broadcasting live out in Alton, Illinois at Max in downtown. Come on by, say hello, grab a drink. Let's watch the NCAA tournament together. We'll be out here until 2 o'clock doing the show. We're going to stay out here, hang out. By the way, Alex Ferrario is going to be doing pre and post from here tonight Hey-o. as well. So it's an all-day adventure. Come on out here, hang out. Come watch the NCAA tournament game. Come watch the Blues game. We'll be out here all day long at Max in Alton, Illinois. Coming up in 15 minutes, we've got questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. But Ricky Horton, Cardinals broadcaster, joins us next to talk about the Cardinals pitching woes, what they can do to address them. Rick Horton next on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I am Brandon Kiley. We are broadcasting live from Max out in Alton, Illinois, and we are going right now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by our friend, the Cardinals broadcaster, former MLB reliever. He is Ricky Horton joining us here on the show. Ricky, we appreciate the time as always, man. Are you down in Florida right now? I am very much down in Florida right now, and I've been down here for a while waiting for players to come and join me. So uh, it's pretty exciting that uh, that it's actually underway and uh, you know, of course, uh, there's a, a days with good news and bad news, but it's good to be here. Ricky, I'm curious, what's the excitement level like for you for this upcoming season on the broadcast side? Because, of course, Mike Shannon retiring and you and John Rooney taking over. Yeah, no, I'm excited about it. I understand it's a great opportunity. And, and look, I understand that there have been some great guys before me, and I've got uh, big shoes to fill. But, you know, I'm just going to be me and, and – uh, and enjoy the grind of a baseball season. And, you know, it's, it's a word that I understand, but I don't really love because it's, you know, yes, it's a lot of days and a lot of hours, but it's baseball for goodness sake. So uh, I, I love the opportunity to communicate, you know, the Cardinals who've been very, very good to me, to the fan base, uh, wherever that might be. And that's, that's what uh, John and I will be doing. And John, of course, is such a, such a pro and we'll have Mike Claiborne with us again as well. So uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a fun year. Well, we're excited to hear you on the broadcast once again this year. And let's start with the good news today, Rick, because the Cardinals made a signing. They went out and they added Corey Dickerson, who's had a ton of success in his career. Once upon a time, was an all-star back in 2017. Has been a very good hitter in his career. Won a gold glove as well, so he's done some pretty good work out in the outfield. What do you think of the signing? One year, $5 million as a left-handed bat for this team. What would you make of it? So I always have liked him as a hitter, and I've got most of my uh, attention on him after talking with Clint Hurdle about him when he was a pirate. Now, he's been with a lot of people. So he's not, you know, he's not your frontline guy, but he's a very good at bat. And, and what I learned from Clint is he came in and changed the culture of the pirates one of the years when the pirates were winning because he just said, I'm going I'm to refuse to strike out. We've got to put the ball in play more. And so he's definitely a contact guy. There was a time where he hit, uh, what, 27 home runs early in his career. He's not going to be that guy, but – you know, 285 hitter, lifetime hitter, which is, uh, you know, pretty impressive uh, number. And, you know, is he going to be, again, your frontline guy? No, but he's a really nice piece to have. So now on the bad news side, Ricky, and I apologize <laughs> that I have to bring it up, but I know Cardinals yeah. fans well. are talking about it. And you, of course, the, the former pitcher, know all about this. The, the news with Jack Flaherty and Alex Reyes. From a pitcher's right. perspective, how concerning is this? Well, you know, it's concerning to the team. And, you know, there are times where a guy doesn't feel well to start spring training. And there are times where it's a big deal and there's time where it's not. So I, I, I would temper what I'm going to say by saying that. But, but to say it's not a big deal and it's not news and, and it's not bad news is saying those guys aren't very good. We don't need them. And that's not the case. I mean, Alex, of course, was an all-star last year. And Jack, uh, when he came up to the big leagues, was as good as anybody uh, that first half of the season. And so we know how good these two guys can be. And so, yeah, a, a blow. And every team has a blow. I mean, I wouldn't want to be the, the Padres dealing with, with Tatis injury and Everybody's going to have them, of course. But from the Cardinals' point of view, you just hate to see injuries to your staff, which, you know, you wonder just how deep it is anyway. And, you know, there's some people that are going to kind of backfill in there. But, again, to say it's not a, a big deal would be, I think, an insult to both Jack and Alex. Ricky, we were wondering earlier today, and we discussed this yesterday as well, like let's 
We don't know how long these guys are going to be out, but it, it seems at least likely at this point, based on what the Cardinals have stated, that they're probably going to miss the first portion of the season. If mm -hmm. I told you right now that it, it, let's say it's a month that those guys are both going to be out for potentially, do you think they have enough to fill in into that rotation? Or in your mind, does it make sense for them to go out there and acquire a Michael Pineda from the free agency market or even trade for a guy like Sean Manaya from the A's who's reportedly available? Well, if you've got a frontline guy that's available, you know, yeah, I think a trade is certainly, you know, you're going to listen to it. You kick the tires on that. But, you know, as, as we all know, any trade, you know, has a cost. And if you're going to, you're going to sell out your future by getting, getting, rid of, getting rid of a prospect that you really like to get a frontline guy, then that's a, you know, that's a problem. So, uh, you know, can, can you withstand a month in a baseball season and just try to stay within striking distance? I think generally speaking, I would say yes. I mean, that's, that's clearly been shown in the history. You, you don't want to get buried early. I don't think the Cardinals lineup would allow them to get buried early. I think you also look at, you know, you're going to play the Reds and you're going to play the Pirates, and they're down. Both teams are down. The Cubs, of course, have made some signings. They'll be better than maybe we thought they'd be. But, you know, I, I think in a sense you can say, well, maybe we don't need to panic about the division here uh, because of, of, of what maybe some of the other teams are doing. That's one thing. Uh, but, you know, you, you give these guys a chance that you sign. Verhagen, Brooks, uh, you know, Jake Woodford would be in that mix, too, of somebody that – that can kind of hold down the fort for a while and maybe even Oviedo, although I think he needs to develop a bit more. But uh, I think there are some choices. Are that, you know, it's not, clearly, though, it's not plan A. And that's where I was going to go next, Ricky. If this is just a month and the Cardinals don't go out and add to their pitching staff, do you look to Woodford first if you're the Cardinals to take on that role? Well, he's got some experience, no question. I'm anxious to see these two guys that they got who have some experience, you know, in KBO and, you know, in Brooks and Verhagen. They've, they've had some experience. They're older guys. You know, they signed them for a reason. They, they think they could be kind of a, you know, a, a, big, a big plus. And so let, let's, I want to see what they have, frankly. In fact, that's exactly what Ollie Marmol said this morning. They said, what do you think of him? He said, well, I want to see him compete first. You know, because the reality is, we're, and this is the funny thing about being down here, because I've been down here for a while, and I've been enjoying it, but, but, you know, tense like everybody else about when we might start. But the reality is now, as we stand, it's both early and late in spring training. It's both. It's, it's early. They're just getting going. But you start to think about, well, opening day is not that far away. And so it's just kind of an odd place to be with the shortened spring training. But the guys that I really want to look at are these guys that I don't know. And, and, and Ali said the same thing today. Rick, how do you view this team right now? As you look at them, and I know the NL Central is tough because it's just so hard when, when you've got really two teams that are actually competing for the division title this year, and everybody else seems to be having a chase for the bottom of the division. How do you view them relative to the other powers, though, in the National League right now? Well, I mean, our lineup is good. I would say our lineup is very good. With Arenado and Goldschmidt and Tommy Edmonds, a very solid player, and the young outfielder. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of reason for optimism i think i think when you look at the cardinals offense but is it the dodgers offense absolutely not i mean it, you know that's it, just incredible now that they've gotten freddie freeman so you know that is one powerhouse lineup i mean it just it just is and i saw a mock-up of what their lineup might look like and they've got they've got really good players hitting eighth and ninth <laughs> you think about the dh reality too uh, i mean they could, they could hit four four or five different guys clean up on any given day so so they're going to be tough, no question about that. But, you know, you still have to play. And, you know, again, I think the idea has always been to get into the World Series and or get into the playoffs, I should say, and then 
just kind of get hot at the right time, which certainly can happen. But, you know, and, and I think with the kind of the extra playoff teams, that's even more of a possibility. But, you know, I do think Cardinal fans are itching for, and so am I, for not just making the playoffs, but, but going deeper into the playoffs. So, you know, I, I, would be, I would be okay with getting another arm and, and, you know, seeing if we can't stack up better against a team like the, uh, like the Dodgers. He's Rick Horton. You'll hear him on the Cardinals broadcast this year on the Cardinals radio network. Once again, also on Twitter at Ricky H 49. Rick, we appreciate the time as always, man. Enjoy yourself down in Florida and we'll talk with you again soon. Yes. And happy St. Patrick's day. I think I'll go get me a pint later. <laughs> Love to hear it. That's Rick Horton joining us here on 101 ESPN. I, I do find it interesting. Like Aaron Brooks is J Happ. John Lester, they're all the same. Wade LeBlanc, like the, all those guys are basically the same. Nobody right? can top Wade LeBlanc. Just took, he just shot your boy down, I know. T-Bone. I can't believe this. They're all just that, that fill-in starter that you hope gives you five innings, gives up four earned runs, and you move on and you live to fight another day. That's what those guys are. Can the Cardinals get away with that? Yeah, they could. Like if you wanted to do that for the first month of the season, I guess it would work. I think they need to be striving for more than that, though, in this National League this year, given what's around them. And I know that the NL Central is not great. I I understand that. But early on this season, I I really think they need to be striving more than for every fifth day to get just enough to advance to the next day. I I thought Ricky brought up an interesting point. He said, can you survive a month of the season without one of your starters like, like Jack Flaherty? He said, yeah, you can. If I'm the Cardinals, I'm learning my lesson from June, and I get it. It's only one pitcher and Jack Flaherty, unlike last year where you were missing him, KK, and a couple of guys in your lineup. Jack Flaherty was a big part of that reason. He wasn't that guy. You didn't have a guy besides Wainwright that you could turn to to get a win. Remember, they lost, I think it was four guys in the rotation would lose, and then Wainwright would come and help them out with a win. You were just praying for a win with the other four guys. Maybe that's a little different this year because you have Steven Matz and Hudson and Michaelis back. I still would be very cautious of that because the Cardinals should learn their lesson that one month can derail a season. It took them out of the race in the NL Central. They should learn this year that they probably should be making some moves. That way they don't have a rough early start this year in April rather than it be June. Does it change anything for you guys looking at what the schedule is? They start out with the Pirates. Then they've got Kansas City. They lost to the Pirates last year, and they lost to Kansas City last year. Then they have four against Milwaukee. That's going to be tough. Three against Miami, three against Cincinnati, three tough against uh, the Mets, then four against the Diamondbacks, and two more against Kansas City. You're not going up against other than the Mets for three games and the Brewers for four. The rest of the first month of the season is kind of a cakewalk, honestly, for the Cardinals. Does, Does that play into this at all in your minds? No, because I'm not thinking this is a month ordeal. Even if they tell us that it's a month ordeal, I just I'm going to be skeptical of it being a month problem with Jack Flaherty. I mean, this is something that's lingered for the last couple of seasons, and he's your ace. So no, I mean I don't really care if they played Cincinnati 12 times. I think I would still be looking for a bigger upgrade than just filling the holes with Whitagrin and Verhagen. I say no as well. And my my and this is going to sound kind of ridiculous, but. Those teams don't know they're bad yet. And, and I say that, remember last year, Pittsburgh was actually pretty good for the first month, month and a half. They weren't, they weren't great, but they were good. Remember, they stuck around a little bit in the NL Central, then, then when they realize they're bad, they fall off. The first month of the season, everybody's still at that same level. Everybody still has that hope, except maybe Baltimore, that they're going to be a World Series team or at least a playoff team. 
So no, that does not that doesn't do anything for me. No matter what, I would be looking to make a move. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We're broadcasting live out in Alton, Illinois today at Max in Downtown. Be sure to come on out here, grab a drink with us. We'll watch the NCAA tournament together. Coming up next, though, six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers here on one hundred and one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on one hundred and one ESPN. 780 is the air couple service text line for questions and answers. We'll be jo- joined by Joey Vitale, the Blues radio analyst, coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. But let's start with this one from the 314. Guys, can you explain what Corey Dickerson's role is going to be? Is he just here to ignite some competition? I thought that the Cardinals said that the kids were going to get their opportunities this year at DH. I'm quite surprised that the Cardinals decided to go this route. I think it's pretty clear, at, at least in my mind, and I could be wrong here, of course, I think Corey Dickerson's the DH. Like, you go up against a right-handed pitcher, I think you're going to see Corey Dickerson starting as your designated hitter. Tanner and I put together our, our lineup earlier today. Goldie's not hitting left <laughs> He's not. Against right-handed pitching, I think it'll be Tommy Edmond leading off, and then you go Goldie, O'Neal, Arenado. I think you probably have Carlson batting fifth, but I think it could switch between Dickerson and Carlson depending on the day. And then Dickerson would be batting sixth in this scenario. And then your seven, eight, nine in some order is Paul DeYoung slash Edmundo Sosa, Harrison Bader, and Yadier Molina. And honestly, that's a pretty darn good lineup. If you've got Corey Dickerson batting sixth in your lineup going into the season, or if you want to replace him with Lars Newbar if he ends up beating him out, it's pretty good, in my opinion. It's it, not great, but it's pretty good. It'd look better with Trevor Story. Oh, yeah, it would. Well, I'm yeah. with you on that am one. I, am I wrong? No. Trade Paul DeYoung, get John. Uh, and then sign Trevor Story. Whew, I mean, I'm, that might I'm, be an A plus in the off season. Hundred like percent here for it, but they're not going like, to do it. What? <laughs> they're not going to do it. I, Trevor Story's market's gone. What do you think Corey Dickerson's role is going to be? I think it's exactly what you said. It's a DH slash bench bat. He'll, he'll he'll play outfield if they have absolutely have to, but he and Juan Yepes are going to be your DH hitters. Yeah, that's where I am. I think he's going to get the majority of the bats at. Uh, the DH spot, he's going to hit fifth, sixth in that lineup. If Goldie end up, ends up hitting leadoff sometimes, which I still think is a possibility, then he'll be hitting sixth in that sp- or fifth in that spot. Just bump him up and s- yep. insert Carlson to that two spot. But, yeah, I, I think he's going to be the DH. And, and again, I, I love the move. I think he's going to be a great addition. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line from the 314. Guys, the Cardinals lineup to me looks respectable and certainly playoff worthy, but I don't think that you can continue to uh, obtain second-level players to fill out the roster and expect an NLCS for this team. Do you guys agree with that? Basically, I guess the question that they're asking is, how do the Cardinals compare with the likes of the Braves, the Mets, the Dodgers, the Giants, at least in terms of their offense? Well, they're never going to be with the Dodgers or the Mets. I think, me personally, I think they're better than the Giants, and I'd probably put them on the same page as the Atlanta Braves right now. I'd I'd put them in the second tier with the Braves, uh, the Phillies. I'd put them there with the Brewers, although I think they're a little bit better than the Brewers, and I'd put them there with with San Francisco in the second tier. I agree with you. I would actually put them probably ahead of the Brewers now. And the reason I say that is I think this lineup just got a little bit deeper with the addition yeah, of Corey but Dickerson. They have pitching that you're not worried about, and the Cardinals don't have their ace. I guess that's fair because I do like Milwaukee's pitching. I just don't know. Milwaukee's offense hasn't made enough upgrades, in my opinion. That's the only reason I take them. But I think they're pretty similar. Like, I'm not taking the they Cardinals They got the by Las much. Vegas Raiders, Hunter Renfro. Eh, no, no. Uh, but I, I would say they're in that second tier. 
NLCS, I mean, it, they'd have to have a lot of things kind of break their way. Yeah, I think this is all about injuries. Like, if the Mets or the Dodgers end up getting ravaged by injury this year, that is your path. I know yeah. that's sad to say, but I think that was going to be your path even if you ended up signing a Trevor Story or made a deal for Sean Maniah. Those teams on paper are just better than you. I mean, let's be There's honest. There's no way to get around that. Let's be honest. That's what happened to the Braves last year. The Dodgers yeah. pitching broke. They were held down to Scherzer and Bueller. They still had some of their offensive pieces. They were missing Muncie, but their pitching broke, and the Braves were able to get past him, and then they were able to win a World Series because of it. Yeah, I think, and that's the path for the Cardinals this year. That, that's what they're going to need. We have one other question from the 314. Guys, do you think the Cardinals are done adding bats this year? Do you still think that they could go out there and add somebody else? I'm specifically thinking of Albert Pujols. No, I I don't think Albert Pujols is happening, and I don't see them adding any other bat unless they trade Paul DeYoung and sign the Trevor Story scenario that I brought up, which I know sounds like a pipe dream, but there's no point in adding any more bats. You already have a bench laid out. Now Corey Dickerson, I think, just rounded things out. So I don't see a move happening unless it's for Trevor Story. Yeah, I don't think they're bringing in a major league bat. They may bring in somebody on like a minor league deal like they did with Jose Rondon last year. Someone that they come in and he may appear in the major leagues in June, July if there's injuries in including to the minor league system. But no, they're not going to bring in another major league bat, I don't think. I think this is your roster. Yadier Molina, Goldie, Edmund, DeYoung, Arenado. That's your infield. O'Neill, Carlson, Bader with Newt Barr and Dickerson as outfield options. And then your bench going into the season is going to be Kisner, Sosa, Yepes. I think that's it. I think that's that's your roster going into the year. And then at some point in time, you're probably going to bring up Nolan Gorman. I'm sure you're going to see Alec Burleson at some point this year. Like guys will get opportunities other than the guys, the, the players that I just mentioned. But I think going into the season, those are your 13 position players. I think they're all already on the roster. I would be very surprised at this point if they went out there and added another uh, bat unless they made a trade from their major league roster, which seems unlikely, at least at this point in time. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcasting live from Max downtown Alton, Illinois. Coming up in five minutes, we continue our NCAA tournament regional breakdown. We do so with the East. It's our last region to break down today. If you're looking for an update on what the uh, games are looking like right now, Colorado State off to a big start in the first half, only 12 seconds remaining against Michigan. They are up 36-28 to 28 against Michigan, uh, the sixth seed Colorado State leading in that one. And we've got a fun one, Providence against South Dakota State. South Dakota State down by just two about midway through the first half in that one, 1917, Providence on, leading Rabbits. South Dakota State. Coming up next, Joey Vitale joins us here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're talking blues hockey. It's the Joey Vitale Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by the Electrical Connection. When you need quality electrical work for your home or business, visit electricalconnection.org. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We are going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by our friend, Blues Analyst for the Blues Radio Network. He's Joey Vitale joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Joey, what's going on, Joey, my man? Joey, Joey, Joey. Crowd goes wild. What's up, boys? Hey, doing great. St. Patty's Day, sun's out. Just left the rink down at the Enterprise Center. Saw the morning skate between Blues and Penguins. What more can you ask for? Joe, did you get a chance to see your buddy Sidney Crosby? Yeah, don't worry about it. Of course I did. You Come on. Where's the good questions? Yes, of course I did. And I actually brought my kids with me. They're on spring break. I brought my son Harper, my son Bodie with me. 
we went down a little bit early, went to the bottles at the Enterprise Center. We snuck back to the Penguins area, saw Chris Pang and caught up with Sidney Crosby, some coaches, some trainers, and just always good, always good to see some old old friends again. But uh, Sid's looking as good as ever, as more, more in his prime now than he was probably when I was playing him. He's just like a fine wine, gets, gets better with age, I guess. Okay, Joe, here's the actual hard-hitting good questions. Did you talk to Evgeny Malkin, and does he still call you number 46? No, he kind of walked right by me. I think he thought I was like a fan or something, or maybe like <laughs> some sort of uh, some sort of guy that worked at the Enterprise Center. He had no idea who I was. You know, he called me number 46 when I was with them for six years. Never knew my name, and uh, obviously now still has no idea who I am. That's one of my favorite stories Joe tells where he was in line rushes. It was it at practice, wasn't it, Joe, where you guys were in line rushes on a, on a drill, and he just looked in front of you and said, 46, go. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing because, you know, I, for the first couple of years, you're like, oh, I don't, he probably doesn't know who I am. Maybe he, he probably knows my name. Even though he doesn't like talk to me, he probably definitely knows my, who I am. And then uh, it was Brooks Orpik about three years in. He was making fun of Gany Malkin in the locker room about how he doesn't know anyone's name except, like, six guys like Sid and Chris Tang. And he's like, Gino, let, who, who's this guy? And he would say a name. He's like, it's Matt. And then, what about him? He's like, uh, it's 4-6. It's 46. It's, it's four he's like, no, Gino, that's his number. What's his, what's his name? He goes, Fatali. He goes, what, we go, what's his first name? He's like, uh, it's 4-6. He's 4-6. <laughs> And so he, he knew me as number 46, and uh, whenever he needed to get somewhere, he would always say, 46 move, 46 move. And, of course, I would step aside and let him kind of get in there and do his thing. He's Joey Vitale, the one and only, joining us here on 101 ESPN, otherwise known as 46, 46. of course. Uh, Joey, the big news yesterday in the NHL as it pertains to the Blues was a move they decided not to make. Ben Sherratt going to Florida for a 2023 first-round pick, a 2022 fourth-round pick, and a prospect who was a third-round pick back in the 2020 NHL draft. I was perfectly fine with them not meeting that price. It seemed like a lot for a rental. What did you think of the price that was paid for Sherratt and the Blues deciding not to match it? Yeah, listen, uh, I completely agree with you, BK. I thought that was a lot a lot to ask for, especially for a rental. Now, you never know if they're going to end up um, signing him. So, of course, it could, it could develop into something more than that. But right now, no, I think that that price was way too heavy uh, for Ben Sherratt. And, and not only that, but... You know, I look at I look at Ben Sherrod, and I don't know if he's the type of defender that the St. Louis Blues really need. You know, I mean, certainly uh, top of the market player right there that any team would love to have. But I think that you know, for how this Blues team is built and continues the direction they want to go in, I think a defender that's a bit heavier, a bit bigger, a bit stronger, um, a bit more predictable is, is certainly something I think that Doug Armstrong was really had his his eyes uh, his um, set sight on. But I think that you know. Um, to have a player that, that, that can use their size and to kind of keep things to the outside, that's more of the, the style of Doug Armstrong and, and I think Craig Bruby as well. I think we got that kind of skillful defenseman set with the Krug and the Falks, guys that can get up and move the puck in a hurry, like Colton Pareko. But I, I just think that if, if there was some improvement uh, that needed to be had, I think it would be on that left side and the bigger defenseman. But I think that they're, they're also very, very comfortable right now letting this thing kind of ride out for a little bit. You know, we'll see how Marco Scandella does again here tonight. But I think Nico Mikula has done a perfectly good job this year as well. And, and if the Blues and I'm not moving anything at all, I, I don't think it's a miss. I think this, this is, it's a team that is built very well. And I think that it's a team that Doug Armstrong's looking at saying, hey, the good news is we, we have all our pieces right here. If there is something to come up, I think he's willing to shop around and have a discussion. But, but the good news is, like I said, I think that enough's been seen this year where I think they feel very comfortable with this group. 
Joe, do you feel like if Doug Armstrong does make a move that it's going to be for a big name and not one of the, one of the say, depth defensemen? Like if he's going to make a move, it's going to be for a guy who is viewed as a number one defenseman on another team. You know, I, I don't think it's going to be a big splash move, Alex. I really don't. You know, there's not a there's not a great market right now anyway. I mean, obviously year to year is always so different. But the teams that are, that are selling and what they have to offer, I just don't know if there's there's nothing sexy enough out there for me that would really think, wow, we this could be a huge ad. I mean, you look at a player like Claude Giroux, for example. I mean, he he's going to be a blockbuster one. Um, you know, down the middle, we're set. I mean, Robert Thomas, you know, Ryan O'Reilly, now Braden Shen. I mean, you got Tyler Bozak and Sunquist that can kind of fill in, in the mix there as well. So down the middle, this is a great team. So I just look at the market. I look at what we need and what's out there. And I just don't know if there's really going to be any big splash names that come through that come through St. Louis. Will we get like a depth player? Let's just take like a, like a Del Zotto, what they, where they went after a few years ago, if you remember that. Like a sixth, seventh defenseman, something to kind of, you know, somebody with playoff experience that can kind of come in there and, and maybe do a job. Possibly. I think I think I don't think he's going to go completely quiet. I just think if there's anything going to be done, it will be some sort of depth piece like that. So we're looking at like a Carson Soucy, Justin Braun, Jacob Middleton type of range. Yeah, I think Carson Soucy is an interesting name. You know, you know, six foot five, big guy. You know, he he's a bit of a shave of what like Marco Scandella is making. Uh, but clearly, the you know Doug Armstrong would need to be creative with the cap in order to get a Carson Soucy. But he he's a player that you're right. He could be a you know fifth sixth guy. But also, I, I've seen Carson Soucy play where I actually think he has the potential to be a top-four guy, where if he gets a lot of confidence and maybe a new, a new uh, sight or scenery with St. Louis could really kind of you know, give him some jump like Marco Scandella did when he, when he got moved here a few years back before he signed that extension. So that's, a, that's an interesting name. I've heard Carson Soucy's name kind of thrown out there. I think Seattle is in um, a, bit of a, a bit of a bewildered kind of situation. I don't think they expected to be in this spot you know, eight months ago when this team was kind of starting to be built. But they are becoming sellers, as we've, we've already seen with Cal Yarncroke getting moved. Uh, Giordano is another name that's probably going to get moved here as well. Uh, but so so certainly Carson Soucy is a name that has been thrown around there, and he definitely can fill a, fill a role here in St. Louis. Joe, what do you think the impact of, of losing Tyler Bozak for four weeks is going to be on this team? You know, I, I think obviously Tyler, you know, killing penalties, um, just a good veteran presence. I think a guy that's just is um, very well liked uh, in the locker room, uh, a good voice, uh, a good head as far as a guy that just kind of understands and knows how to navigate this time of year. You know, you're right around that trade deadline and you're approaching playoffs. I mean, you need players like him. You need veterans who've been around the block. They're going to help these young guys. Now, the good news is he's going to be around a little bit more, which is, which is good for this team. Um, but is it something that, you know, you can use to leverage as far as maybe if you keep them off long enough, long enough, you can use them as an LTIR situation where you do free up a little bit more cap space. And maybe this is um, Doug Armstrong's intent right here. But I think from a fourth line standpoint, this is an area that this team is, is still trying to um, piece, piece together about what it looks like and, and how, how it can fit. You know, tonight it's going to be Oscar Sundquist back in the middle with Mackenzie McEachern and then Torpchenko. I like that fourth line. There's definitely some potential there if Oscar can stay healthy. But I think, you know, Tyler, like I said, you're going to miss a good presence in the locker room. You're going to miss a good voice on the bench. And you're going to miss just a, a nice, poised, calm player right in the middle who's just going to make that predictable play. So it's going to be important for Oscar to come out there tonight um, to kind of keep battling through what he's going through with those lower body injuries and kind of be that force and, and see if this could be a fourth line for Craig Berube. Final question that I've got for Joey Vitale, the Blues analyst for the Blues Radio Network. Uh, Joey, looks like they're going to go with Ville Husso in net tonight against Pittsburgh. 
the thing that I wanted to ask you about is when does this team need to start honing in on one guy as their starter? Obviously, that time is not necessarily right now. You've still got another six weeks left in the regular season. But at what point in your mind does that start becoming a question and a conversation? You know, it's a tough one, BK. I mean, you look at some teams, uh, they would like to have it probably established, you know, a few weeks heading into the playoffs to kind of get a good rhythm going into it. I think a lot depends on the goaltenders and their personalities. You know, I think this is why discussions are always being had with the goaltenders. Uh, I was talking to Phil Bork this morning, uh, who does the radio side for for the Penguins, and we were kind of laughing about back in the old days there a few years ago with, with Matt Murray and Marc-Andre Fleury as both those goaltenders were terrific down the stretch, and, and it was kind of like a game-time decision on game one. So, I mean, it, it could come all the way up into the first game of playoffs. So I don't think that this, this team's in any urgency or rush to kind of jump into this thing. You know, I think if the playoffs were today, say game one was right now, I think you, you look at how these goaltenders have both played recently, and they've both been great. You know, have they been perfect? No. Have they been excellent? Maybe sometimes, but they've been really, really great. And this is a team that maybe has been letting them down at times. So, but they've been keeping their head above water and keeping this team in a position to win. So I think they've both been good enough. Um, you, you probably got to lean more towards Jordan Bennington just because he's got that playoff experience. But but Billy Huso has been been chomping the bit as well. So it's a tough question to answer. I think you have to look at the personalities, like I said, of the goaltenders, uh, the situation of this team. But I just think for, for the stretch of hockey they have coming up, I think they're very content with going back and forth. But I would imagine that with a couple weeks remaining in the season, um, if we get to that point and they're both healthy and still playing the way they are right now, I would imagine Craig Berube is going to start kind of getting his sights on maybe who I think is going to be the guy, maybe who's trending in the right direction, and maybe giving him a little bit more time without overdoing it. He's Joey Vitale. joins us each and every week here on BK and Ferrario. You'll hear him on the call tonight. A fun one down at Enterprise Center. Blues versus Penguins. Alex has your pregame coverage live from all Illinois at Max in downtown at 6. Joey and Curbs on the call starting at 7. Joey, appreciate the time as always. We'll talk with you again next week. Thanks, boys. Have a great week. Absolutely. Same to you. That is Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN. Do you agree with his assessment there about the defenseman? Uh, the Blues more likely to add a depth guy than a, a big splash? I think they're going to go big splash here for some reason. I mean, Elliot Friedman and, and Elliot Friedman's about as tied in as you can get. And Joey is as well. So don't get me wrong here. Joey knows what he's talking about. But for what Elliot Friedman said in his 32 thoughts saying, don't discount Doug Armstrong. And if you just look at the landscape of the guys that are available, rather than go for a Middleton or go for a Braun, who would be good players for this team, I think you got to start at the top. And look, yes, you want draft picks, and yes, you have to stockpile the assets for the future. But if you know that you can win a Stanley Cup now and also acquire a top defenseman to play with you for the next two, three, four years, you got to take that shot because who knows what Colorado looks like next year. They don't have Nazem Kadri next year. He's a free agent. They might not be able to bring him back. Who knows what Calgary looks like with Matthew Kachuk's uncertainty and Johnny Goudreau. If you set yourself up now to push and then for the next two years, I mean, this window's wide open with your roster. So here is specifically what the uh, the quote is that Alex is referencing from Elliot Friedman. Quote, now that Colorado is muscling up with the flexibility for more, watch out for St. Louis. Recent struggles aside, the Blues have indicated that they feel they're good enough to win. The Central Division playoffs are going to be nasty, and general manager Doug Armstrong has been mulling a few different options. He's not afraid to be aggressive and he has tried to move out money as well. They have intensely examined the rental defense idea. They also like Sherratt, or the more permanent fixture, including the now-injured Jacob Chikrin. Again, I'm not sure how to read Provorov's future, but Armstrong's history is to prefer long-term over rental. 
I'd be surprised if the Blues are quiet come trade deadline. Let me just add on to that because Daryl Sutter, the Calgary Flames head coach, he had an, a, an incredible quote the other day when asked about the playoff setup, and he basically said, if you're a wild card team taking on Colorado in the first round, you're basically wasting eight days of your life because it's going to be a clean sweep with Colorado. That's to Friedman's quote of it being nasty. And you can't stand Pat or add a, again, no disrespect to him, but you can't add a Jacob Middleton or a Justin Braun and expect to go in there and be able to pull out a victory against them. Maybe in the second round, but it's going to be nasty all the way through. If you're going to be nasty, you're going to have to load up with anything that you can get that makes you significantly better. See, I, I think it's fine. Um, as long as you aren't in that wild card spot. And I don't expect the Blues to be in that wild card spot. So if they can continue to be second in the Central Division, I think you're fine. And I, I continue to believe it's Middleton, Braun, Susie or bust. So you just mind. so you just like getting into a wild card spot and seeing I what just happens. Said, Don't do the wild card. I said get the number two spot in the central division. He thinks anything can happen in the playoffs. I was, and we'll see what I happens. Was, I was making a shot at you being in the John Mozalock mindset rather than the Doug Armstrong <laughs> hey, mindset. It, felt it. Kind of mo- <laughs> it, it did feel very mo. Hey, we're good with the, we're good with Wade LeBlanc because he'll I get mean, us there. You're not getting to number whoa. one. You're not getting to first you in the division. You need to get to number one, but you better be you better be you ready be number two for a battle. And you cannot be ready for a battle with Justin Braun. I mean, this team's already good enough. They could be. They could beat Colorado as currently constructed in the playoffs. I wouldn't predict it, but I mean, you you're the one that tells me this all the time. Look at what the Lightning were before they finally broke through. Look at for years what the Capitals did in the playoffs. Look at for years what we've seen from all of these different teams that have loaded up the Vegas Golden Knights. Sometimes you lose, and, and, and nobody can explain why. It's not necessarily because the other team is better. It's a seven-game series, man. Weird stuff happens. And if Colorado has to play against the likes of the Predators or the Wild, one of those teams in that first round, they're going to get beat up a little bit. I, I get and it. I'll take my chances against them in the second or third round. But I've also seen the last couple of weeks and the amount of turnovers that are coming from your defensemen in your own zone. You can't have that's that. That's why you got to have somebody that's predictable like a Justin Braun, a Carson Soucy, or a, pro, a Jacob Middleton. Pro, pro, pro for Coming a up in Chikrin. 15 minutes. Are the Cardinal, Cardinals when haunted? When did BK become Mo? The first <laughs> text I looked at. Are the Cardinals haunted by the ghost of prospects past? We'll get into that coming up at 1230. But next, we continue our NCAA regional breakdown with the East region. That's next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I need to I need to apologize to anybody who picked them, to anybody who bet on them today. I need to apologize to any South Dakota State backers out there. Way to go, BK. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We'll get to our East Region breakdown here in just a moment. I just don't understand why you do this to people. Especially when you know someone that's sitting to your right has you taken know South you're Dakota the, State. You know the power that you possess. You're like Superman. Superman's not allowed to just walk around and punch people because he, it's, it's lethal weapon, man. So I decided, you know what? We're done with our, our rundown. We're done getting ready for the show about 30 minutes or so ago. I uh, decided to place a wager down over on the FanDuel Sportsbook. At the time, South Dakota State was down 21-19. to 19. There was six minutes and 45 seconds left in the first half. South Dakota State has since scored four points. Unbelievable. <laughs> they are now down 31-23 to 23 at halftime. <laughs> 
I don't. I, I just like have some respect for people around you, man. I never believed that the BKO was real, but it proves time and time and time again that you it is shut very down much an real. entire airline. <laughs> Could you please put money on Michigan? That way, I'm feel confident they're going to hold end up losing. I no, love no, no, Colorado no, State in that game. Colorado uh, State, yes. by the way, is up 38 to 31 against Michigan early uh, in the second half. Providence up 31 to 23 against South Dakota State at the end of the first. If you want to put a bet down, this is probably a good time to do so. All right, let's get to the East region where we can get into our breakdown of this one. What is the most interesting game that you are excited for today in the East region, Alex? Mine's Murray State and San Francisco. Yep. One, because Murray State is always an entertaining team. And two, you might see the new uh, Mizzou head coach for basketball in action. And I hope he loses so that San oh. Francisco moves on from him. But that's the one that I think I'm most intrigued by. This division's interesting because I have a lot of upsets in this one. Oh, really? Yeah. I actually have, well, it's probably the mo most out of any region in my I bracket. I have one upset in this one. I have I three too. upsets in this one. Okay. Yeah. And obviously this isn't one of them because I have Murray State winning. But this is the one that's most interesting to me. Yeah, that's the game for me too. It's Murray State and San Francisco. Two mid-majors, two that have played very well. I, I, like, I give Murray State the edge. They've got a couple of guards that played on that team with Ja Morant, what was that, two, three years ago at this point now. This is, I, Murray State has a chance to go on a bit of a run. I, I really like them. This should be the best game in this region, in my opinion. I, I like Murray State. This is, my, this is one of my favorite regions. I, I love that game. I love the game that we're watching right now with CSU and Michigan. Uh, by the way, that one has, has gotten pretty close at this point. Uh, Houston UAB should be a really fun first-round matchup as well. Ohio State versus Loyola is a really good game. That's basically a pick em over in Vegas right now, even though it's a 7-10 matchup. There's a bunch of really good first-round matchups in the South region. Who is the team that you are expecting to get upset, Alex? Because I only have one. It's Loyola beating Ohio State, but I don't even know if you can really have that as a legitimate upset considering Wait, Vegas views. You're not looking equal. at the right I was region. Say, did you flip regions in the middle? <laughs> you're of not this looking segment? at the right region. We're looking at the East with Murray State, San Francisco. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile everyone, uh, we all heard BK say that he's betting on, on uh, Colorado State. Michigan's now within three points. Oh, great. That's not cool. I don't know what just happened. Yeah, I don't either, man. You started, like, bouncing around three different divisions of matchups that you're looking at, and I'm like, no, 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 no. We're have, in one region. I have zero upsets in this division. <laughs> Alex, what do you have upset-wise? I, I don't know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I don't know why I put this. But I did. I guess I went gut feeler. I have Indiana beating St. Mary's. They, they looked pretty good. They in the looked first good four. yesterday. Never fall for the first four. Never do it. I, I always go off of momentum. Usually has yeah, momentum. I always no. go off of momentum. And look, I'm not beat T Bone over here. No, I'm not picking a 16 team beating a number one team. That Brian lost. I, I'm you taking don't have to worry on. About that. I'm taking on a 12 seed with Indiana. And I don't know much about St. Mary's, but I just they feel, shoot the lights out of the ball. I feel like the momentum. They, uh, bodes well for a team that's coming off of a win. So I picked Indiana as my upset in this there, region. There, there have been a lot of teams to go go out of the first four and get to the Sweet 16, and there's been, I think, two in the history of the first four to get to three, actually, to get to the final four. So, Do you remember who they were? Uh, it was UCLA last year. It, it was a very good team. It was Syracuse back, I think, one of the first years, and then VCU. VCU did it as really well. Good. Indiana stinks, man. They were bad oh. all year long. I'm sorry well, that they beat your team, and well, now you've got to give them some respect because they Indiana, beat the Illini. Now Indiana's winning the March Madness tournament. Indiana's not good. They're, they're not going to beat St. Mary's. St. Mary's is a, a legitimately good basketball All right, team. everybody that Everyone is listening, I Saint, would put yeah. 100 bucks on Indiana. It's now. called hashtag fade BK, and that's what we do here on BK and Ferrario. Okay, who is your sleeper team to come out of this Well, you region? didn't get his upset. 
Mine's Virginia Tech. I love Virginia oh. Tech over Texas. I assumed he was going to Indiana. No, I actually I, I, I do have Indiana losing to St. Mary's. I, I do think St. Mary's is just the better team, but I do like it. I could easily see it happening. Who's your upset? I don't have one in the first round. Oh, uh, you were looking at the wrong region. Yeah. Virginia, Virginia Tech's the one for me. They won the you ACC tournament. You want me to break tournament. down the South? I can do that for you. <laughs> you did that already. <laughs> Virginia Tech's team for me, they just won the ACC tournament. They've got a little bit of momentum going into this one. I think they're a little bit underseated in my opinion, so I think they have a shot to take down Texas. Yeah, my sleeper team coming out of this one, it's not much of one. We just saw them last year make it in a, on a big run, but it's UCLA. I, I really like UCLA. I've got them making my final four. As a four seed, that would be a little bit surprising, uh, and, and they would be taking down Baylor in that scenario for me. So I've got UCLA as my sleeper. It's not like a big-time underdog by any stretch, but that, that would be my team that I'm, I'm pointing to. Sleeper in this one. Uh, my Elite Eight is, is Baylor and Kentucky. The furthest teams that I have that would be considered sleepers is I have Texas going and losing to Kentucky in Sweet 16, and I got UCLA losing to Baylor in Sweet 16. So who do you guys have coming out of this one? I've got UCLA, Tanner. I've got Kentucky. I've, Kentucky. Got, them, I've got them losing or beating UCLA in the Elite Eight. Gotcha. Yeah. So let's go big picture here. Today, as we're watching these games and you're looking at your bracket and you're looking at a, an Elite Eight team that loses in the first round or something like that, who's the team you are most worried about that's just going to screw you? You know it's going to happen. You can already see it coming, and you put them down there anyways. Who's that team for you guys? Honestly, it's either Houston or Auburn. And Auburn, if I'm not mistaken, Auburn kind of stumbled a little bit towards the end yeah. of the season. And Houston... Houston is the team that everyone is telling me that, oh, man, they're, they're, the, they're the dark horse to go all of the way and win the whole thing. They're the team that loses against UAB and just basically I crumble up my bracket and throw it away. So if I had to, to take, because I feel good about Gonzaga and Kentucky on the, on the left side of the bracket, and I have Gonzaga winning the whole thing, but I know Houston or Auburn, one of those two teams are going to screw me over. Yeah, I feel really good about the left side of the bracket. The right side is going to be the one for me, and it's Iowa. I, I Same. We were talking about That's this before. I've got them going to the Final Four. We were talking about this before the show. Their favorite, I think it's been like nine and a half over Richmond today. I would not be stunned if Richmond takes down Iowa in the first round. I almost took Richmond. They've got a lot of momentum. They've been playing really well. Rich what? Uh, I, Richmond. Thank I, you. I, what? Oh Coach God. Carter, buddy. Keep going. Oh, sorry. Uh, but I, I, I would not be shocked. Iowa loses there or if they lose to Providence. Providence is playing really well since BK bet on South Dakota State, <laughs> so they might have some momentum Michigan, to Michigan take Michigan is Iowa. now within three points. Oh, boy. Somebody My God, on the man. text line, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We have seven of these texts all consecutively. I will pay BK to put money right now down on the Colorado Avalanche to win the Stanley Cup. Bleep. I have UCLA in the Final Four as well. Thanks for ruining my bracket, BK. I also have UCLA in my Final Four. Thanks for the BKO. My bracket is done. I don't even have to look at it anymore. GD, I have UCLA. Unreal. <laughs> Iowa is my team. I I've looked at your bracket. Four. I looked at your bracket, and then I built my bracket opposite of yours. That, that's a smart thing to do. You I would recommend doing exactly that. seeds winning today. No, that <laughs> yeah, that would have been looking at your bracket. Um, <laughs> I... Iowa's the one that I am most worried about because I've got them going into the Final Four. And on the one that you see online uh, on the Twitter account for 101 ESPN, it shows that I've got them in the national championship game. I don't have it's that anymore. Changed. I switched it. I now have Arizona winning it all from that side of the bracket. So uh, Iowa's probably that team for me. I'm also a little worried about Houston. I've got them in my Sweet 16. If they lose today, that would screw me a little bit. But uh, those are probably the biggest teams for me that I'm worried about BK, early on. also known as everyone's kryptonite. <laughs> I don't need that. I don't need that in my life. Is Com he wrong? 
Nope, absolutely okay. correct. Not wrong in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> coming up in 15 minutes or so, let's dive into the junk drawer. But coming up next, are the Cardinals haunted right now by the ghosts of Prospects Pass? I'll explain that coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is a Cardinals team that seems to be kind of entering a window. You got Goldschmidt and Arenado there. Uh, how much longer are they going to be in their sort of peak age range? Do you, don't you want to kind of strike while the iron is hot? That would be an argument for going and getting one of those ace pitchers. The one nice thing is that the Cardinals have kind of close to ready players. Those are the kind of players that the that the A's like. So they could build something around Lars Nupar, Juan Yepes, uh, you know, some of these guys that are, you know, close to being ready to compete. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We are broadcasting live out at Max in downtown Alton, Illinois. Come on out, say hello, watch these NCAA tournament games alongside us. We'll have the Blues game on later on tonight. Alex doing pregame live from here. That voice you just heard was Eno Saris of The Athletic. He joins us yesterday, and he covers the A's out in the Bay Area. So he's got a pretty good idea of what the A's would be looking for if they ended up making a deal for a guy uh, – like uh, Bassett, who they've already traded off, or Manaya. Sean Manaya, who the Cardinals could potentially be looking to acquire. A- Alex, I am I'm very curious. Is this team haunted by the ghosts of prospects past? And what I mean by that is they've gotten so much flack for trading away Randy Arozarena and Luke Voigt and watching them go on to do such great things with their new teams. I do wonder if that's part of what would hold them back from making a deal for a guy like Juan Yepes or Lars Newtbar, where they want to find out, can these guys be significant contributors for the big league club? And if they trade them elsewhere, specifically to Oakland, would they go out there and have success? And how would that look for the Cardinals? I wonder if that's something that would hold them back from making a move like this, if that's the type of player that the A's are looking for. I think it absolutely would hold them back. And I go back to John Mosellock's comment about trading prospects and saying that he's a little gun shy to that now I think it's different when it comes to Yepes and Newt Bar. like Yepes I can understand the hesitancy with trading that because you feel like you have a role for him in the DH spot he looks like a prototypical DH like if the DH spot was here when Luke Voigt was a prospect I don't think Luke Voigt would have been traded because Voigt would have had a spot to play but with Juan Yepes now you have a spot for him and and I can understand the the thought process of not going after a Kyle Schwarber who was on the market because you feel like Juan Yepes can get to that level. The Lars Nupar, I, I feel like there is a little bit of gun shy there of trading him away because you're afraid it's going to be the Randy Rosarena, but I don't get that because you've got Tyler O'Neill, who you expect to be long-term, Dylan Carlson, who's very cheap. You have some really good prospects in the minors who can play outfield, and Harrison Bader's here for you. Like, where's Nupar going to fit? When you can make a trade for a guy who's going to fit immediately into your rotation, and then you know how to pivot from that when you're healthy with guys like Dakota Hudson who could go into the bullpen, or hell, even a Sean Manaya could be a weapon for you out of the bullpen, and then you could do the shadow, the piggyback that we've talked about. I don't understand being gun-shy if Lars Nupar is what it takes to get it done, and Eno Saris told us that that would probably be something that the athletics would be looking at. Yeah, I, I would not be hesitant to be gun-shy on a guy like a Lars Newbar because he wasn't even a top-30 prospect. He's never been a top-30 prospect. So if he ends up being a 
major hit for a team like the Oakland A's, then good for them. They did their due diligence in scouting. You didn't see it. It's not your it's not your fault. And honestly, the with the DH, you don't need a fourth outfielder as bad anymore. You've got your three outfielders solidified. The DH spot is pretty much locked up on the left side of the plate with Corey Dickerson now. So if Lars Newpar is going to be a piece in a trade, there should be no reason to hesitate. Same with Alec Burleson. We haven't seen him. He's down in, I think he's going to start the year in AAA. If he's a guy that has to be put in a package, you shouldn't you shouldn't be hesitant about it. It's not like in twenty when was it that they traded uh, Rainer Rose Rain? Was it twenty nineteen? I think so. Yeah, because he ended up going on in twenty twenty to in the, in the playoffs. Go to, and, yeah. So it, it's not like that where it was okay. You don't really know what your outfield is where you had three question marks there. No, the outfield is solidified. You have all three spots in the outfield figured out, and you have it for the next couple of years. So there's no concern about that. And the like I said. With a designated hitter, you don't really need the fourth outfield spot anymore. You just don't. And the DH spot, I understand giving Yepes the, sp- the reps on the right side of the plate, but because you brought in Dickerson, I don't think you need to worry about trading a guy like Newpar or Burleson, both left-handed at bats. Let's have a real conversation about Newpar for a second. What are the odds he becomes a starting outfielder for this team in the next two years? Barring injury. Let- let's assume health for the, the current starters. What are the odds he's a-, he's a starter for you? I'd say less than 10%. I'd go less than 5 there's zero chance. Like, there's zero chance. He's okay, not overtaking. Well, let's not be pessimistic here, man. Come I mean, on. Dylan I Carlson, it, it, something horrible has happened if that if that ends up being the case. Because Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill, and Harrison Bader are your starters in the outfield. They, they're locked in. No doubt about it for at least the next couple of seasons. So if Lars Newbar overtakes them, either he has become an all-star, which I would be very surprised by, or one of those guys has taken a step back in a massive way where that in and of itself would be a problem for the Cardinals. So Lars Newbar is not a starting outfielder for you. They just signed Corey Dickerson for a reason, and it's because he, frankly, is a better, more proven hitter right now in his career than Lars Newbar is. If you told me right now which would you rather have starting at DH, I would tell you Corey Dickerson between those two. So what's his role? It's to be your fourth outfielder, and if you're telling me I can trade a fourth outfielder for the next few years who is maybe going to fit into the mix as a DH occasionally – for a starting pitcher who can provide me 160-plus innings this season, even if it is a one-year rental, I am making that deal every day of the week. So I don't need to know what Lars Newbar is going to be for this team. I'm not worried about what happened in the past with a Randy Arozarena or Luke Voigt. By the way, Luke Voigt got you your current closer in Giovanni Gallegos. That's worked out all right for you, I would say. If you end up getting a starter who gives you 160 innings this year for $10 million and is better than any of the guys that are currently available out on the open market, and all you had to give up was a guy who projected at best for the next two years to be a fourth outfielder, you won that trade. Here's the problem, too. I don't, I'm not as gun shy about trading some of my prospects in terms of position players because I've stockpiled a lot right now. Like, I'm not sitting here saying trade Jordan Walker and Nolan Gorman. But, like, I'm not sitting here saying, well, Brendan Donovan, someone like that. Brendan Donovan, a, a Luke and Baker, and Alec Burleson, Joshua Baez, you have these guys. Like, you're starting to develop these younger players in your system. I'd be more hesitant to trade pitching right now because that's starting to be a, a massive hole for you. So to be gun-shy for some of these position players that you're hoping can turn into something, I understand you want to have depth, and you got to have depth, and that's the Cardinals' way. But for a guy like Lars Newtbar or a guy like Alec Burleson, I'm not as concerned about that because I can find more of those guys and my future in two of the three outfield positions are set. The three of the three. Well, but you don't know what Harrison Bader's future is. Like After if you can get him years, re-signed. But for the next couple of years, he's definitely going to be a part of it. And I, 
The other thing is I think you look back to the 2020 season and the reason why Randy Rosarena was such a big topic of conversation here was because Tyler O'Neill hit 170 that season. Lars Newbar going out to Oakland and being pretty good for them isn't going to matter if the Cardinals look out to their outfields and you say, okay, Harrison Bader's playing gold glove defense in center and Carlson and O'Neill have picked up where they left off a year ago and Corey Dickerson has done exactly what they expected him to do as my DH option. It's more about what you're doing internally than it is what that guy is doing for somebody else. I, I don't hear as many complaints now about Randall Gritchick as we did two years ago. Because Randall Gritchick, you look at it, you're like, I'd rather have the Cardinals' current options than what Randall Gritchick is doing. Same thing for Steven Piscotti. Like they, you just don't really need those guys because your current outfield is outproducing what those guys are doing elsewhere. And I think the same would be true if you traded a guy like, honestly, Juan Yepes or a Lars Newtbar. Either of those two players... I think you've got the internal candidates to be able to replace them. Maybe even if they don't outproduce them, give you a pretty similar results. And in this scenario, you also are able to acquire a guy that can give you significant innings. And I think would slot in immediately as your number two starter while Jack Flaherty is out. Yeah, and even on like the Bader front, his future. I mean, I w- my plan would be right now that he's going to be on a contract extension. He's not going to bake. He's not going to break the bank. I mean, he's not like going to get. Potentially Tyler O'Neill, who could see a massive contract when his free agency years come to You're looking at probably ten million bucks a year. Yeah, I mean he's not going to break the bank. So you've got the three outfield spots in my mind. If I'm John Mozalek, I'd be planning on I have the three outfield spots figured out for the next five years at least. I mean that would be the way I'm planning on it. So why not trade a fourth outfield type bat? You can always go find someone like they did this year, a Corey Dickerson, on a one-year five million dollar deal. I mean that's not bake, breaking the bank. So if you can. Per- get rid of one of those guys for someone like a Sean Manaya, where you're bringing in a legitimate top-end starter for you, absolutely you should do that deal. There should be no hesitation. And another deal that I, I thought of when you mentioned it, Jose Martinez, when you sent him to Tampa Bay, he was a little bit older. You got Hennessy Cabrera in return yep. in that deal. So like they, were, the Cardinals have done some of these moves in the past before, but I think they just became really hesitant because of what Randy Rosarena did. And honestly, he didn't get reps when he probably should have because you didn't have the outfield figured out. Now that the outfield's figured out, I don't need to figure out whether or not the guy's going to end up being a star or not. I don't see Lars Newpar, even if he plays really well and he becomes a 280 hitter and he's hitting 25 home runs. The best case scenario, he's a designated hitter, but I already have some of those guys. I know we're, we're always so gun-shy as Cardinals fans to sit here and go to the Randy Rosarenas and the Luke Voigts and the Sandy Alcantara's, and, and yeah, there, there are some examples of it. But can we also do the examples of the trades that the Cardinals did make of people that they were so high on? Like, I remember people talking about Charlie Tilson being the next big thing for center field. He traded him to the White Sox, and he has not been anything for him. I think he's now in AAA. Magnera Sierra. People saw the speed, and they're like, oh, this is your center fielder of the future. They traded him, and now you're not talking about him. There was another player that they traded to Cleveland. Yeah, it was an outfielder. Jalen Ramsey. What? No. Uh That's a linebacker. (laughs) It was Ramsey something, I know. I don't remember what his name was. It was was, an outfielder that they traded to Cleveland. But what I'm saying is, yes, there are examples of the Randy Rosarenas and the Luke Voigts and the Sandy Alcantara's that have hurt the Cardinals. Oscar Mercado. Thank you very much. But there there are also very... Very many examples of them making trades of guys who didn't pan out. So to, about, if you could pull this off, do it. How about the Tyler O'Neill trade? That worked out all right for him. How about the one or the um, the Juan Yepes and for the Matt Adams? The bigger piece was Jairo Munoz. Yeah, looking back, they, they've had quite a few of these deals where they won, even though a couple of years ago it didn't necessarily look that way. So I would not have any sort of hesitation about making a deal like this. It's just a matter of them actually going out there and getting aggressive with what they want to do in their rotation. You've absolutely ruined 
my South Dakota State game. What happened? They're now down by 14. Well, on the plus side, Colorado State also down by three uh, with seven and that's a half okay. minutes to go against Not Michigan. so much South Dakota. They went further in my bracket because of UPK. South Dakota State is now down 43-29 to 29 with 15 minutes Son to play. Son of a nutcracker. I had them going to the, at least the next round. Coming up in about Come 10 on. minutes or so, we'll get into our 20 most important players for the Cardinals in 2022. We continue with number 17 on the list, a guy who could fit into the mix for that DH conversation. And I'm going to ask Tanner and Alex, would they still have this player here if we knew about Corey Dickerson prior to making this list? We'll get into that coming up at 1 o'clock. Coming up next, though, it's the Junk Drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Alex, what you got for us, man? All right, fellas. So um, so I'm going to put this out here, and I would prefer both of you not to judge me with this. Oh, I would prefer our, li- our listeners not to judge me with this. I'm sorry, but I can't. But it's a pretty good story. So I watched The Bachelor. Oh, now, I already knew that. Let me, let, me, let me back that up by saying I just started watching it this season because one of the girls in it went to Lindenwood with me. Susie, she was at Lindenwood and, and worked in the communications department. Did you guys know each other? Yeah, we did. She was a good. She was a good person. To How work well? With. I mean, we passed each other by and we said hi. We did broadcasts together. Checking. What are you trying to get out there, BK? Just asking how well anyway, you knew Susie. We're gonna move past this. She also knows my wife because they they both worked at Disney World as as interns. Anyway, so because you know someone I'm famous. Not, I'm not gonna. Well, t- technically, yes. I'm not gonna spoil it for people that are watching it. But essentially, what happened was it didn't go well with her and the quote-unquote bachelor, and she left. Former Missouri football player. That's right. Kind of Eureka native. Yeah. So and and it got kind of awkward because she wasn't a fan of what he did with certain individuals, and so she left. You, so she you was can out. be more specific, man. Okay. If people haven't listened to it at this point. Spoiler alert. Okay. He's gonna talk about the bachelor. Give us 30 seconds. So the bachelor had sex with two other women, and basically Susie did not, and she wasn't a fan of that, and so she said she was going to leave. So she left, and he was kind of— So she's not into having the three people in the bed at the same time. He was. She's not. Correct. And so she left, and and while she was leaving in the episode, it got pretty heated. He was kind of rude to her. And so I still have Susie's contact information from when we went to Lindenwood. Wait. I was not expecting this. Hold on a minute. This is a turn I wasn't Just hold on a minute here. So what <laughs> happened was uh, Katie and I were watching this, and, I mean, we were livid because this guy was rude to her, and we were so proud of her because she stuck her ground, and she left. And so I told Katie, I said, I'm going to message her and just tell her. Be like, you know, blank this guy. We're with you, girl. You did the right thing. And so I reached out to her, and I just sent her a text message. And I'm like, hey, Susie, we haven't talked in a while, but I said, we're watching this episode, and I just wanted to tell you how much we appreciated you standing up for yourself. And I basically put in bold letters, F this guy. That was two seasons away from the season finale. I watched the season finale with my wife last night, and lo and behold, Susie comes back and marries the guy. (laughs) And so now I'm sitting at home with Katie going, what is this woman thinking right now? She's reading a message from me, and this guy is basically telling her fiance, F this guy. That's fantastic. Did she no, she has not responded. 
Maybe you'll be lucky and it's not her number anymore. Uh, no, it said red text you, message. So. I, I oh, just, gosh. I can't imagine actually sending that text. I can imagine, like, being drunk and thinking in the moment, this is a really great no, idea. But see, that's the thing. We should send a text to the girl that just left The Bachelor. Oh, see, I'm kind of with Alex. Like, I could, no, well, but, but, if you knew her really well, well I could understand we were that. Friends. They did it. No, we did though. We were friends. We worked at, so we worked in the TV studio together. She basically was a a acting major, and she did video work like for video series. So we would see each other in the in the video department all the time. So we knew each other. She would know who I am, but I, I was, I was so livid at the time because the dude was, and yes, fell of it being a a television show where it was scripted, and it probably was scripted. But well, I was clearly she I was, came back. I was so <laughs> she was heated. Kim Anderson coming out of the crib. Yeah, I was so <laughs> heated at this guy, and now I feel horrible because I basically said, "Hey, f your fiance." I got a feeling you won't be invited to yes. the wedding. Yeah. But, but if you are, I would like double up on like whatever the gift is. You're no, 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 no. I, I wouldn't even attend that wedding because uh, I he would, would leave feel very the awkward. Dance as well. Yeah, I did not leave thing. before your first dance. I watched all of your dances. I left when the group dances started, and I saw Sexy tear up the dance floor. I, we just got our video, by the way, the other Did day. Did you watch Saxy? <laughs> man, <laughs> he was getting after. He it. <laughs> and his wife in the corner, man. They were they were breaking that dance floor down. He was getting after it. It was tremendous. I also saw uh, Anthony Stalter getting a few moves in. It was very impressive. Uh, quite the dance floor situation. That's tremendous. Alex Ferrario just texting the the girl who got kicked off of The Bachelor. Who I really ended wish up she would have responded with The Bachelor. Uh, no, I'm glad she didn't respond. Wait, so do you have a plan to text back and be like, "Hey, uh, I did not see the season finale well, I when told, I sent so that." So Katie and I <laughs> joked last night, and I wanted to text her again and say, "Yeah." I didn't finish the whole season before I decided to text you, so sorry. When's the wedding? I expect my invitation in the mail. Apparently they're not engaged, but like I told Katie, it's like I don't even want to watch this anymore because I feel awful that I just cussed out this this chick's fiancé. But regardless, it's very uncomfortable. And I told Katie I'm never watching The Bachelor again because now that the Lindenwood tie is out, I'm done with it. He'll 100% be watching again. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll be joined by Billy Jaffe, NHL analyst for the NHL Network. He joins us coming up at 1.15. But next, we continue our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2022 season with an option for the DH. Would he still be here if we knew when we made this list that Corey Dickerson would be added? We'll tell you next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And now, the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2022 season on BK and Ferrario. Number 18, Juan Yepes. Yepes swings, fly ball, hit well into center. Friedel going back, warning track at the wall, it's gone. I mean, I think he could hit, you know, 260, draw a few walks, hit 25 homers. Like, he's on a trajectory where he could be an above-average everyday player, which at a corner, you know, means 25 homers and making decent contact. Number 18 on our list of the 20 most important players for the Cardinals in 2022 is Juan Yepes. The DH option for the Cardinals. He absolutely crushed the ball down in the Arizona Fall League last fall. 300 batting average, an OPS over 1,000. And that's not all that different from what he did 
down in the minors last year as well. In AAA last season, he hit 290 with a 385 batting average. He also added 22 home runs and 25 doubles. Now it is looking likely that he's at least going to be a bench bat for you and probably going to be starting as a DH option for you against lefties as well. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Number 18, Juan Yepes. Alex, if we were making this list today as opposed to a week ago, do you think Juan Yepes still would have made our top 20 list after the signing of Corey Dickerson? I think he would have. I think he would have been probably around 20. I think he would have dropped down a bit. I still think he's going to be impactful because as much as Corey Dickerson is going to be a DH where we feel like he will be, that's a left-handed DH. You're also going to see the right-handed DHs at times. So I think Juan Yepes is going to get a shot. And here's the thing. You got nothing else to do with Juan Yepes. You can't put him back in AAA because, I mean, he's done everything he needs to do in AAA. You got to let the guy play. And I think you could see some type of significant impact from Juan Yepes this season. If I were to redo it, I'd probably have him lower than where I had him originally with this Corey Dickerson sign. But he would still be as my top 20. Yeah, he, he would still be in my top 20. He probably would have sat around 20. The whole reason I said that I couldn't put Lars Newport on my list was because I wasn't certain that he was going to be most important and slash most impactful left-handed bat for that DH role. And honestly, with Juan Yepes, them putting him on the 40-man roster and having him active for that wild card game last year told me a lot about how they view him. They didn't use him in the game, but it told me a lot about how they view well, him. that's Mike Schilt's fault. I, whoa. And by the way, for what it's worth, I have heard reporting since then that uh, the Cardinals were planning to have him on their NLDS roster as well if they had advanced, and he was going to be their top right-handed hitting option off the bench. I, I know I know that a lot of people are going to say Corey Dixon is going to get all the uh, bats against right-handed pitching. I don't think that's the case. I think he'll get a majority majority of them, but I would not be surprised if Juan Yepes does face right-handed pitching this Why is year that, T-Bone? as well. Because Juan Yepes has no splits. No splits, too. No splits as well. He didn't know where well. I was going with that. But, no, I didn't. I had no idea. But but I think he can be a guy that you could put in the lineup against right-handed pitching and feel pretty confident about it. So I, I think he still would have made my top 20 list because I think he is going to have an impact on this team, and I actually believe in his ability. I think he's a – Jose Martinez type player. That's how I. That's how I view him. Oh, see, I think, I think he's got more power than Jose Martinez. I think he's got a little bit more power as Jose Martinez, but I think he's a guy that has hit for average across all the minors. That's what Jose Martinez did. I, I mean, he's probably got that 15, 20 home run power. Can hit around 260 to 280, and you'd be happy having him hit six as your designated hitter. You mentioned the lack of splits last year in AAA. He had literally no splits. He finished the year with a 285 batting average against righties, a 289 batting average against lefties. He had a 375 on base percentage against righties, a 400 on base percentage against lefties. And the slugging percentage is where he made up for that. 615 slugging percentage last year against right-handed pitching as a right-handed hitter. Against lefties, he was right around 500. He actually had a better OPS last year. It was reverse splits against righties compared to what he was against lefties. So Juan Yepes could absolutely fit into the mix against right-handed pitching as well. I think they're planning for that guy to be Corey Dickerson, and I think that's the right plan. It is proven commodities. Like, that's what this team needed. That's what they were missing, and that's why I'm glad they made the signing of Corey Dickerson. He's insurance. In case Juan Yepes does take a little bit of a step back this year, in case what you saw last year was, oh, he's a 4A player. We've seen this before, right? Think about the number of guys that were outstanding in AAA and just never really could make the cut in the majors. That could happen to Juan Yepes. That is very much in play for this. But he could also come up and be the same guy that he was a year ago where it is a Jose Martinez type of situation. Jose Martinez won the batting title with the Kansas City Royals AAA affiliate, and the Royals just didn't believe in it. 
They didn't think he could hit at the big league level. They didn't think he had a position at the big league level. Decided to send him here to St. Louis for the other Jose Martinez that never ended up making any impact in Kansas City. And Jose Martinez here was quite good. And that's the type of impact that I do think I agree with you guys Juan Yepes could have for the Cardinals this upcoming season where we had him on our lists. Alex, you had him at number 18 on your list. Tanner, you had him at 17. I had him all the way up at 16, ahead of the likes of Nolan Gorman and Lars Nupar uh, and Edmundo Sosa. And Paul DeYoung I also had behind him as well. So that's where we had him on our lists. I think I would have him right around here still. I, I think that he is going to get some opportunities, A, as your DH against, against left-handed uh, pitching. I also think you're going to see him as your top bench bat next year like if you get into the later innings and you've got a big spot coming up and maybe it's Yadier Molina I don't know if they'll do this or not but I think they probably should think about it if Yadier Molina is coming up in a big spot would it shock you guys if Juan Yepes got that opportunity maybe I think it depends on how Yadier is going DeYoung. maybe Paul DeYoung is coming Paul, up if it's Paul DeYoung maybe that's the better yes because you've got Sosa who has can provide a spark may not have the same power as Paul DeYoung but I I view him and I know the metrics may not support this and the Cardinals don't believe this I view Edmundo Sosa as the better defensive option so if you have a scenario where it comes up and you've got a runner at third and maybe one out maybe you go to a guy that doesn't strike out as much or at least that's the plan would be Yepes doesn't strike out as much as Paul DeYoung why not turn to him so I would not be stunned if that's the case I really feel like we're going to see more playing time of Edmundo Sosa this season than Paul DeYoung at shortstop and I think we're going to see more Paul DeYoung at the DH. Did, did you see the um, projected lineup for tomorrow? That that, But I think that's how they're going to start it. Okay. I, I think, the, I think yeah, they're going I, to I start think... it with Paul DeYoung, and they're going to give him every opportunity to be the starting shortstop. But I, I would wager to say that come May or June, you're going to start seeing more Edmundo Sosa because Ali Marmol strikes me as a guy that wants to play the guys who spark energy on a team. And Edmundo Sosa did that. Like it or not, he was that for your team. Yeah. And if you're getting power elsewhere, maybe they view Paul DeYoung and say, you know what, we're going to keep you as a DH. And that's where I would come back and look at Juan Yepes and say, okay, well, how much is he going to fit in here? So where would you guys have, if we were to restart this today, let's go ahead and add in Corey Dickerson onto this list. I don't want to give away everything that's coming up for us, but where would you guys have probably ranked a guy like uh, Dickerson on your list? Do you think he would be right around this range? Would he be higher than this for you? Where, where would you have him fit in? I think he would probably be a one-two punch with Juan Yepes. So if I were to redo my list, I would be moving Jordan Hicks up to where he's on number 12. He was 20 for us. Mm -hmm. I would be moving Hicks up further, and I would probably bump Juan Yepes down, and I would have Corey Dickerson one spot ahead of Juan Yepes. So I'm looking at probably... 19 for Juan Yepes and 18 for Corey Dickerson. I would probably have Corey Dickerson in my top 15. He'd probably be 14 in my list. I don't have uh, – that would be what I would say because he's going to get, I think, the majority of the at-bats to begin the year. That was the problem I had with Juan Yepes. I just would wasn't he, would certain. You, would you guys have them ahead of or behind the shortstops? Because I think that's really the conversation. I'd have it behind the shortstops because I feel like the shortstops are going to be more impactful for this team however they use them. I think yeah, they have to be. I, I would probably put – Corey Dickerson probably ahead of, ahead of the shortstops. I, I think you have to because he's going to be that fifth or sixth guy. I think he's going to hit in front of either DeYoung or Sosa see, in the I don't. lineup. I see Paul DeYoung hitting five or six. I can see them using a DH kind of like what we've talked about with the Harrison Bader of that second leadoff hitter. And I know Dickerson's got more power than that. But the, but the thing with Corey Dickerson is getting on base, correct? Yeah, I, I would be pretty surprised if he's a, a further than six. See, I was thinking they might though. look at it as like a, an eight hole for Corey Dickerson and a nine hole for Harrison Bader. If he does hit eighth, 
I think that means that Paul DeYoung is having a tremendous season. Or they're hoping he has a tremendous season. Yeah. By the, by the, by the second or third month of the season, I can see this lineup being readjusted because guys struggle. I, I would agree with that. I just think he's going to be a six guy because he's got some pop to it. This has been the biggest question for me. Who's going to be behind your four best hitters? And the four best hitters coming into the year are clearly Carlson, Goldie, O'Neill, and Arnado. Who is going to be that guy that hits behind him? I think it's now Corey Dickerson. I think originally it was going to be Paul DeYoung and hope for that bounce back. But with the Corey Dickerson signing, he's had proven success. He's a 280-something hitter yeah. in his career. I would be stunned if he's not 5'6 in the lineup. By the way, I looked this up a little bit ago. The last three years, Jock Peterson, who was for a lot of people considered to be the top like lefty platoon bat available on the market for a reasonable price, he's a 230 hitter with a... Uh, 113 OPS plus against right-handed pitching. Over the last three seasons, that's Jock Peterson. Over the last three years, Corey Dickerson is a 265 hitter with a 114 OPS plus against righties. Corey Dickerson's been slightly better against right-handed pitching over the last three years than Jock Peterson. He's been better over the last three years against righties than Eddie Rosario, Mitch Haniger, Hunter Renfro. The guys that we've been talking about as options for that platoon bat, the Cardinals just signed somebody that's been better than them. So credit to them. I really do like this move quite a lot for them. Juan Yepes, though, number 18 on our list of the 20 most important players for the 2022 season. We continue tomorrow with number 17 on our list of the 20 most important players, a guy that I still view him as being this important, and it could be a problem for the Cardinals. We'll do that tomorrow. Billy Jaffe, NHL analyst for the NHL Network, coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I am Brandon Kylie. We are live out in Alton, Illinois at Max in downtown. Come on out, say hello to us. Watch the NCAA tournament throughout the day tonight. Alex is going to be doing pregame right here at Max in downtown Alton beginning at 6 o'clock for the Blues versus the Penguins. And right now we are going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by Billy Jaffe, NHL analyst for the NHL Network. He's joining us on BK and Ferrario. Billy, we appreciate the time, my man. How you doing today? Uh, I'm doing really, really well. How about you guys? You having fun? Oh, yeah, we're having a great time, man. Enjoying St. Patrick's Day out here, the start of the NCAA tournament. Looking forward to a big Blues game tonight against the Penguins. Uh, let's start big picture with you. What, what are your thoughts on this year's Blues team as we are now uh, about four days away from the NHL's trade deadline? Well, uh, my thoughts on the Blues, uh, I always like them in the sense of how they're built, where they start with their, you know, their general manager, Doug Armstrong, because I find him to be one of the guys that gets creative. And is, is he's part of that group that does something regularly that you don't really always expect. And so we can sit here as analysts and think we know what the hell's going to happen. And then the guys like him and Jimmy Rutherford throw a curveball at it. So he keeps us on our toes a bit. Uh, and I like, you know, I'm a big Craig Berube fan for years and years. Uh, I love the way he relates to the players, how he gets the most out of them. When it's said and done, I think this is a very good team. I'm not convinced they're great yet. Got to obviously figure out, uh, and they have a little time, a little runway to figure out their goaltending situation. Is it a 1A, 1B? Are they going to go back to just one come playoff time? But I, I do – I like this team. They know how to win. They've been there before. But I do think they need to tweak the back end if that's what we're going to get. It. I think they need to add to that. And I don't think that's any great, you know, rocket science analysis for you guys. I'm sure you've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks. They need to add some some top 
I'll call it top fourness, if that makes sense. But you're not going to get a number one guy, but a number three or four that you can add to that group. I like that verbiage, Billy. I'm going to start calling it that, the top four-ish. That's what they need right now. (laughs) Is that, in your opinion, what puts them in the same category as Colorado and Calgary? Because for a lot of people, those are the favorites right now. Colorado seems like there's no way of catching them. But if the Blues were able to acquire a defenseman to play in that top four with Colton Pareko, would you put them in the same level? I would give them an absolute puncher's chance. Yeah, I, I, I would. I would give them the I, – I, I think it would legitimize the odds, if that, you know, again, makes sense to say, all right, wait, now you're, you're shuffling some other guys a little bit further, a little down the lineup. You can never have enough defensemen, cliche 101 for playoff time, never can have enough qualified NHL defensemen given the rigors of the, of the playoff run. And I think – you know, with the way that, that Thomas and Tarasenko and, and, you know, O'Reilly's been good. I mean, they've got the uh, – Cairo. How do I not bring him up first? I mean, I believe they have the offensive depth. I do. And they got a couple of guys that I mentioned. A Perron can get on a heater. He's been better lately. I think they've got enough, enough up front, fellas. The back end and the goaltending. And, and you know, Huso's been great, right? He's been, he's been really great, and he's helped – keep the blues where they need to be. But the big question is going to be, all right, if they anoint him early on, can he do that in the playoffs? You, me, and everybody else listening to this can't answer it until we see him in his first playoff run. We're talking to Billy Jaffe of NHL Network here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Billy, I I did want to hone in on maybe what style of defenseman you think they should be looking to acquire, or honestly, if a style matters to them. Is it just about getting the best player that they can? We've brought up, I mean, no fewer than probably 20 different names. You mentioned earlier, we've probably been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. Try like the last few months. Basically, since opening night, we've been talking about who's going to be that top four defenseman they could go out there and get. Are there any names that you like best for the fit next to Colton Pareko? Um, I mean, it's I, I would lean more towards Mark Giordano than I, I mean Lindholm's really good for Anaheim, but I don't know, I don't have him as a top pair guy. But you know what? With with Colton Pareko, he would form an awesome top pair, and I, I still think uh, that Giordano has enough left in the tank, and his and his age can help settle things down there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to go down my, the mental list of other guys that might be easier to get less money. Because you, you guys know this, too. The Blues, it's money in, money out right now. I, I think, if I remember correctly, out of my notes in front of me, I'm going to say there are about 23,000 available cap space. It's not a lot. It's nothing right now, if I, if I remember it's, correct. It's about 850 now if, if they put uh, Tyler Bozak on LTIR. But, yeah, they, they, okay. they don't have a ton of money available to them. Some of the so, names – in that range that we've been talking about, I want to get your thoughts on them. Are a guy like Jacob Middleton or a Justin Braun, Carson Soucy? I mean, that's the second tier, certainly, of the defenseman well, market. But uh, what do you think about I those love Carson as well? Soucy. I love Carson Soucy. I do. I, I, I love the name. I love. I watched him at college. I did his games when he was at Minnesota Duluth. Um, I, I, you know, there's a bunch of teams that would would like adding a. a I think he's six five, two hundred and twenty something pound guy. Uh, is he a top pair guy? No, but again, could he round? Could he be part of your top four? Yes, uh, but that's a big ask. Come second and third round in the playoffs, fellas. You know, of, of a youngster, um, but he's got a and he has term on his deal. So that's the, and it's less money, but it's term. So you'd be moving something off your lineup, which again, I think the Blues could handle moving somebody off their lineup up front. The Middleton name is interesting. Um, I do an awful lot of Boston Bruins games uh, on Nesson, and 
The Bruins have been linked to Middleton because of his size, because of his, his grit, his demeanor. But when I sit here and tell you that he's ready to play 22 minutes a night as your number one left side defenseman, probably not, but he helps round things out. Uh, you bring up Justin Braun, KG veteran. He goes to the depth, though, and he's a right shot. Um, I, I mean, those are all names. And the other one is Jacob Chikrin, who we haven't mentioned. You know, could I see Doug Armstrong pulling off that deal somehow, some way? It would be tough, but the only but, – but he's one of those guys, I think, that could figure it out. He could maneuver it, and Jacob's got a couple of years at over $4 million, uh left remaining on his contract. Billy, one more that I wanted to ask you, and you mentioned their names, Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. Have those two players emerged into the elite status of NHL uh, NHL players? Um, I don't know if it's elite yet. They're elite talent, but I term elite players having done it a couple of years. Is that is that a fair answer to you guys? Meaning yeah, that makes sense. They're awesome. They're awesome. Like they're they're. they're you know what I love about both of them is their confidence, their hockey swagger. I'm not saying they're cocky kids. I'm saying their hockey confidence with and without the puck is freaking awesome. Uh, Kyra obviously is speed. Thomas is heading it's a shot. But give me a few years of it, and then you say elite. And, or if they're not elite, they're great. If that, you know, again, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trend, I, I feel like they're trending towards elite but I, I think it's fair to elite players because elite is a pretty darn good word to use a big word I, I think in fairness to real elite players let's give them let's have them a couple more years of these results and then we can label them that you can watch nhl network analyst billy jaffe on nhl now coming up at three o'clock plus nhl network will air eight hours of live coverage this monday for trade deadline billy we really appreciate you taking the time to hop on with us today thank you so much we'll talk with you again soon my man Great. Thanks for having me on. Love St. Louis. Haven't been there in a couple of years. One of my favorite places. Have a great well, time. Well, hopefully we can get you out here soon, man. Thank you so much for the time today. That's Billy Jaffe, NHL analyst for the NHL Network, joining us here on BK and Ferrario. What he just said about Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas, it reminds me of something uh, that Chiefs offensive coordinator, I know, of course, Chiefs comparison here. You got any uh, Royals ones in there, too? Eric Bieniemy said about Patrick Mahomes. He said he's got a competitive arrogance about him which is like the, the perfect term for a guy that just has that swagger on the field or in this case the, the, on the ice. I think that definitely applies to both Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. Let's react, though, to what he said about the defenseman situation. I think everybody's kind of in the same, same stance here. It makes sense for the Blues to go out there and get a guy with term. It makes sense for the Blues to go out there and acquire a guy like Jacob Chikrin who can come in and immediately fill into your top four and you feel very good about it, not just now, but also once you get later on into the playoffs. The problem is the money. Yeah. How do you make the money work, and does it make sense for them to go out there and give as much capital-wise up for whether it be Chikrin or a Giordano, whoever it is that you're bringing in? There's just a lot of the times you get to this point in the season and there's an obvious player that you can go out there and acquire. That doesn't exist in my mind this year for the Blues the way that it has in the past. Yeah, uh, there's no guy that, that like is the perfect fit. Like when, when, when the Ryan Miller trade happened, and I know everyone goes back to this, but it was a perfect fit. You knew the best goalie on the market, Blues needed a goaltender, that's where they went. Defenseman like Jacob Chikrin, yeah, he's great, but one, I don't know if he fits the Blues, and two, he's injured. He, uh, Ivan Provorov would be incredible, but you might be giving up way too much that's going to affect your team's chances at winning a Stanley Cup to get him on your roster. So it's a really tough circumstance, and Doug Armstrong always talks about not just focusing on the now, but looking towards the future. And in that sense, 
you always have to sit there and wonder, how much does Doug Armstrong look at the landscape and say, maybe there's somebody that's going to be better available for us and better suited for us in the offseason for a trade, or how much do we really think we can get a Matthew Kachuk? Those are the things that I'm sure are swirling around his mind, which is I'm not going to give up three draft picks and a prospect for a Ben Sherratt when I might need those draft picks to acquire that top defenseman or a Matthew Kachuk next year. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Our first game of the NCAA tournament has gone final. My team, Colorado State, uh, did not go well for there them goes the, the parlay, half. And that's why I bet against BK. They lost 75-63 to 63 against Michigan. The 11 seed Michigan Wolverines advancing to the second round elsewhere in the NCAA tournament. South Dakota State now down by just three points. It is 55-58 to 58 with a minute and a half to go against Providence. Uh, we have also tipped off at this point. We're almost a halftime. Memphis up 31-19 to 19 against Boise State. And Norfolk State is getting the break speed off of them by Baylor. Baylor's up 27-10 to 10 midway through the first en- half in that one. You enjoy that one, don't you? I could not enjoy it anymore. <laughs> so that's where we stand right now. We'll continue giving you updates throughout the day. Today we are broadcasting live out at Max in Olton, Illinois. We're going to be here all night long. Alex is going to be doing pregame coverage for the Blues versus the Penguins starting at 6 o'clock. We're going to be hanging out here. We're staying in Alton tonight. It's a road trip for BK and Ferrario. We'll be here today and tomorrow as well. Coming up next, the four options for the Blues to fortify their rotation. BT gave us three of them yesterday. We're going to react to all three coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. about 20 minutes left here on BK and Ferrario live from Max in downtown Alton, Illinois, alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I am Brandon Kylie. Yesterday, I was listening to the fast lane. Brad Thompson always does a great job on their show. He specifically was excellent when breaking down what the Cardinals options could be now that you're likely, potentially, maybe, probably, let's be honest, going to be without Jack Flaherty and Alex Reyes to start the 2022 season. He had three that stood out to me as options that I think we should at least give a little bit of discussion, and then I've got one more that we'll throw on the back end as well. Let's start out with a trade that he thinks the Cardinals could make for one of the better pitchers in baseball who's been hurt a little bit over the last couple of years. You don't know what you're buying, and that scares me a little bit when I need certainty right here, right now. But you would have three years of Shane Bieber. Uh, do you think that they would? Do you think they would take calls on Bieber right now? Bieber's in his first year no. of arbitration. If I'm if I'm Cleveland, absolutely not. But what are you what are you playing for right now? Nothing. Shane Bieber, let's put him out there as the option number one. Are you interested in trading basically everything you got for Shane Bieber? No, I don't want to trade what I have so I can get a guy who's been in the Cy Young conversation <laughs> and won a Cy Young and was an MVP conversation. No, I'd prefer to stay away from that. Okay, Get good. Well, out of here. Oh, oh, okay. Of course I'm calling about this one. Now, I don't know what it would take. I would give up everything except Jordan Walker. Even Gorman? Yeah. If, if, I, if I called Cleveland right now and said, pick your, pick your poison off of my prospect list. Baez, win, fine. Uh, Liberator, fine. Throw Gorman, Gorman in there. Fine. Take it. If they're not touching jo- Jordan Walker, I'm making this deal. Because my team... You have this guy controlled for four more years. He was fourth in MVP voting a couple of years ago. I'm pulling the trigger on this deal any way possible. I don't think they'll move him, but what, what are they playing for? The injury concerns don't don't factor into this enough for you to be hesitant about it. I don't it. think so. I don't think so because it's the first thing that's popped up for him. 
and I mean, he pitched last year. Yep. You know, it's not like the guy is, was shut down and you haven't seen him for two years. So he's young still. What is he? He's 20. He's going to be age 27. He's basically Jack Flaherty age. And but has more, more commodity and more proven commodity with it. I mean, yep. Flaherty's had that half of a season. This guy's been in the MVP conversation, so I'll do it. Yeah, I, don't, I would do it, but it would depend on the asking price. I'm not giving up Gorman, which probably means I'm out on, yeah, you're not I'm on this. Why, why would you not give up Gorman for this? I mean, this? Shane Bieber has the same amount of injury concerns as Jack Flaherty. I mean, he threw 16 games, didn't even get 100 innings last year. Yeah, but Jack Flaherty's year. has happened multiple seasons. This has been one season for him. I mean, and but we were saying that on Jack Flaherty this season. We were saying Coming into the year, we were saying Jack Flaherty's only had one injury. And now, I mean, that's the same for Shane Bieber. I mean, it could be the exact same thing. no word about him being injured for this upcoming season either. I know. I just have concerns about it, and I wouldn't be willing. You know I'm high on Nolan Gorman. I I think Nolan Gorman's going to be a great DH slash second baseman for this team. I'm I'm on the mindset of John Mozeliak and saying, I don't want to trade Nolan Gorman because I like what I have. I would be willing to part with Matthew Libertor in the deal. Uh, I I don't know if I would. I would not part with Jordan Walker. I'd be willing to part with Joshua Baez. But right there, I just took out your two best prospects. The Cardinals aren't going to get him without doing so. Okay. I, I wouldn't make the move. I, I have concerns. I understand that he we haven't heard anything about an injury, but, I mean, it's the same thing about Jack Flaherty we were talking about. Jack Flaherty had one injury last year, and we were talking about a bounce back. They could be saying the same thing in Cleveland about Shane I Peter. don't make this kind of investment in pitchers. I just don't. I, I, maybe that's unfair, but that would be just my philosophy as a general manager. I'm not giving up that much to get a starting pitcher who has three years left of club control and has already had a shoulder injury a year ago. It, if they made the deal... I totally understand it. It would be a it would be a super aggressive move, and you would go into the playoffs, and your rotation would be as good as anybody that you're going up against because that dude is a legit ace if he's healthy. But there are so many questions that would come with it that I wouldn't be the guy that ends up making that move. I get it if they do, but I couldn't make that move myself. The next one that he mentioned was Michael Pineda, who we had some conversations about yesterday. Here's what BT had to say about Pineda. Michael Pineda, he's he's fine, and I think that he would be able to eat some innings for you, and that's what you're... Is he better than what you currently have? He's more established than what you currently have. Like, that, that to me is a very big... That's my thing on Michael Pineda. He is a more established version of Jake Woodford or Aaron Brooks or throw in whoever you want to be that number five starter for you right now that's going to be potentially in your rotation. Last year, he ended up having some injury questions. He ended the season with 110 innings pitched, 22 starts, 3.6 ERA. The year before that, 26 innings, 3.4 ERA. The year before that, 26 starts, 150 innings, 4.0 ERA. He's a perfectly adequate starter. He's not great. You're never going to be like, oh, I get to go out there and watch Michael Pineda pitch tonight. But if Michael Pineda is your number five starter, you are fine going into the season. And if you're going into it with him, you have to imagine he starts the year healthy. And if he gets hurt later on, so be it. It's not a huge investment. If you're going the free agency route, I think Pineda is the ideal candidate to join this rotation. Because I think you could also throw him back into the pin later on when everybody's healthy if need be. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm fine with this. I, I think it comes down to how much I'm paying for it because I don't know if I want to be six million bucks. And if that's what it is, then do it. I mean, wh- what's it going to hurt you? If you were in on the Zach Grinky conversation, you should be on this conversation as well. So I'm fine with this one. Maybe you get this. Reminds me a lot of John Lester. I mean, you got a guy who there's not a whole lot of expectations for if he stays healthy, which I know Lester was healthy, but with Pineda, if he stays healthy, he's going to give you innings, which is what you need right now, and he's going to be good enough for you so I'm fine with this yeah I'd be fine with Michael Pineda too because it's not going to be that bad of a contract one year deal for you there's always going to be pitching concerns so he can always be the kind of that sixth depth guy if Flaherty comes back and everybody's healthy in the rotation 
And let's be honest, I mean, that's just such a hard thing to do. He's going to cover innings for you no matter what. So he could easily make 20, 25 starts, and you'd feel decent about it. So I, I would be willing to do this if I were the Cardinals. All right, last one that he mentioned yesterday, Brad Thompson on the fast lane. They'll be coming up from 2 to 6 live out here at Max in downtown Alton, Illinois, a local product that he thinks might make some sense for the Cardinals in a trade scenario. Do you think that Jake Odorizzi might end up being a fit? Okay, so he's got a $5 million contract, and then he's got escalators, okay? But escalators that I think that you might be happy to pay if, in fact, he's giving you these innings. And here's the thing about uh, about his deal, too. He can also be a swing guy. You can end up putting him in the bullpen if Flaherty ends up getting healthy and everything else is going well. If you traded for him and he gave you 160-plus innings, I feel like you don't, you'd be happy to pay for that. you got nobody else. I think Oda Rizzi is a perfectly fine option for this team. I would rather them go the route of a Michael Pineda in free agency, though, than trading an asset to get Jake Oda Rizzi. I, Oda Rizzi is a better pitcher, probably, but not by a wide margin than what you're getting out of Michael Pineda. And I think they give you basically the same thing in terms of what they would be for you at the back end of your rotation or as a bullpen arm. I would just rather go get that guy in free agency right now than give up something for him and acquiring him via trade. Yeah, if I'm going to, if I'm going to make a trade, it's got to be for somebody that's that's a big time move like a Manaya, a Montas, or a Beaver, like we were talking about. If I'm making a trade for this, no, I'll stick with what I have, or I'll make a signing in the free agent market because money I'm not worried about. I'm not going to give up prospects for a guy who is fourth, fifth, could be out of the rotation when healthy. Yeah, that's about where I am. I, I wouldn't mind the move. I, I think the move actually may work out pretty well for the Cardinals if they decided to do it. It's just I don't know if I want to give up some of the assets that you're going to. It's not going to be a big haul, but do you really want to give up a you know, top 30 prospect to go to Houston for a Jayco Rizzi when you can go sign a guy? for 5 to $6 million, then you're done with it after a year. I, I, if anything, I would just take that free agent route. I'm with you guys. I, I don't know if I'd pull off the move for Rizzi. So we opened up the show talking about how Sean Manaya is the guy that makes the most sense for this team to go out there and make a trade for if they want to be able to reload with those innings in their rotation. I still feel that way. I think I would have Manaya if you were putting these three along with Manaya into a top four of the best-case scenarios for this team to add to their starting pitching staff. I would go Manaya one. Pinedo two, Odorizzi three, and Bieber four. That would be my list of the, the the order in which I would want to go out there and acquire those guys, given the cost. Obviously, if you were telling me cost is no object and you could just go get these guys, Bieber's number one. He's the best pitcher on this list. But given what it's going to cost to acquire them, I would go Manaya, Pineda, Odorizzi, Bieber in that order. Yeah. Alex, what would be your I would order? do those, the top two. I would flip Bieber and Odorizzi. If, if it got to the point where I could get Bieber, I would – really give up I would really consider giving up the cost for it over an older is he see I, I would go I would actually have Pineda one just because it's not going to cost me any assets at all it's just a free agent signing and right now I'm still on ho having hope even though I'm not very optimistic about it that Flaherty's not going to miss a whole lot of time and then it'd be number two for me would probably be Mania three would probably actually be Odorizzi for me just because of the assets you'd have to give up and then four would be Shane Bieber so that's what we've got in terms of the potential acquisitions for the Cardinals. Somebody on the text line from the 618 said, guys, none of these none of these players would give you the top of the rotation guy that Jack is. I think he's specifically talking about Manaya Pineda and Odorizzi. The reality is, other than Bieber, I don't think there's anybody out there that you could get that right now. And honestly, even including Bieber, I don't think there's anybody you could realistically acquire that's going to give you what Jack Flaherty is. If they don't have Jack Flaherty this year, and I don't think that's going to be the case, but if they don't have him, they're not replacing him. You can't. You've got to be able to make it up in other ways, whether that be with your bullpen being a shutdown bullpen or with the defense that they have or the offense taking a big step forward. 
you're not replacing an ace with somebody that is available on March 17th. You're replacing that production elsewhere in your lineup or somewhere else in your team. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll get to the BK and Ferrario Rewind coming up next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Finishing things up here live from Max out in downtown Alton, Illinois. We'll be here all evening long. We're going to be back again tomorrow from 11 to 2 as well. Fastlane broadcasting live out here from 2 to 6. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We finished today where we opened today with the BK and Ferrario Rewind, and that is the Corey Dickerson signing. One year, $5 million for the Cardinals. He's very likely to factor as your left-handed option as a DH this season. I like it. I really like Corey Dickerson a lot. He is a slightly above average league hitter in terms of what he does against right-handed pitching. He's basically Jock Peterson. If you like Jock Peterson, you probably like Corey Dickerson. Those are essentially the results you should expect. Guys, these are the other players that have signed in this same range in terms of the average annual value so far that could fill a similar type of a role. Jonathan VR, Jock Peterson, Josh Harrison, Brad Miller, Cesar Hernandez, Donovan Solano. If you were telling me that I could get any one of those players, I might take Jock Peterson just because of the playoff success that he's had. But otherwise, I think Corey Dickerson would probably be number two on my list. I like the signing. It makes a lot of sense, and it fills the one role that I think they still had remaining from a position player. Bite your damn tongue and don't speak ill about Brad Miller ever again. You know again. I love Brad oh, that's Miller. that's true. Millsy's a Millsy's great guy. Millsy's always available. Look, BK, I'm a simple man. If there's something that needs to be fixed, I just want it to be fixed, and the Cardinals needed a left-handed bat, and they fixed it. So fine with it. Would I have liked Colin Moran? Absolutely, but I'm okay with this. Yeah, I'm, I, I think it's a great signing. I think he's a little bit better than Colin Moran is Corey Dickerson. He's a good average hitter. He's got pop. I think he's going to be playing, we talked about it, 70% of your games against right-handed pitching. I mean, he's, he's going to be your fifth, sixth hitter for the Cardinals, and I, I think it's a great signing. He fills in what, what you were hoping Lars Newpar could be. I don't even know if Lars Newpar's ceiling has been what we've seen from Corey Dickerson in his career, and, and that's where I think that's what it came down to for the Cardinals. They decided ultimately, you know, let's go Corey Dickerson. We like what he has overall. And that's what they decided, and I, lo I love the signing. Here's a question for you guys. Do you think this says anything about Nolan Gorman? Is it possible that Corey Dickerson now actually enters the, the mix as your fourth outfielder, Lars Newbar starts the year in AAA, and Nolan Gorman makes the major league roster no. on opening day as a result? No. Uh, unless he tears it up in spring training, I don't. Lars Newbar is going to be on the team, mostly because he got the at-bats last year. And I think they're looking at Nolan Gorman as let's just give him the start of the year is a triple-A bat, and then he'll be up here when we absolutely need him. See, I, I think this solidified Gorman going to the minors because I, I think you're going to keep – Dickerson's got, what, what was it, $5 million, I think? Yep. So he's going to be the ever, the DH originally, and then Gorman will come up at some point, and I just don't know if you ever move Dickerson out of that DH spot unless he's struggling because you gave him $5 million for a reason, and it wasn't to be a fourth outfielder in my opinion. I think I agree with you guys. It's just something I would keep my eye out on. After every, hearing everything coming out of spring training so far, they clearly want to see what Nolan Gorman looks like this year, and this would at least represent some sort of flexibility with the roster now, that you have another outfield. You brought it up earlier, Alex. Why do you have two 
uh, fourth outfielders basically on the roster. It's something worth considering. Quick update from the NCAA tournament. Some scores for you. At halftime, Memphis is leading Boise State. They've doubled them up, 38-19. to 19. Norfolk State is getting beat 43-27 to 27 at the half against Baylor. Longwood is now tipping off against t Tennessee. Are they Tennessee winning? up 6-2 oh. early on that one. We do have two finals. Providence took down South Dakota State earlier today, 66-57, to covering the spread. And Michigan took down Thanks Colorado to State 75 to 63. We will be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. We'll be hanging out at Max in downtown Alton, Illinois all night long. The Fast Lane's coming up next on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.